We can go live. I'm fine. I'm ready. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Your Aunties Could Never, episode 56. Yes. 56, 56. I'm Auntie AK and I'm here with Auntie Farah, Auntie Nana, and Auntie Shane. Hello, 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 ladies. Hey. How are hello, you? Hello, 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 hello. Um, how are you? All good. Fantastic Tuesday. Is it a fantastic Tuesday? It's bloody cold outside. Well, I swear I saw snow. I'm so sure. You saw snow? I'm yeah. sure I saw snowflakes coming down a little bit. My friend messaged and said that it's actually called, she called and said it's going to snow at seven o'clock. I was like, that is very specific. And she said, that's what her app has told her. At seven o'clock, it's going to snow. It's going to snow. How did we just that, man? Last week it was blazing hot and now it's like freezing cold. Good old British weather. I got to say, this is England. We had a hot day. It was just the one. <laughs> yeah, one and a half. One and a half. One and a half. Thing. You lot are going all couple of cans on the weather. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't there yet. Literally, I think I missed those two days. I'm like, yeah, I'm not getting excited. Let's just wait for it all to kick in. Really kick in. Um, um, I I have just like a quick one that I wanted to. It's a random. But I saw that Virgin have their galactic flight. <laughs> They're getting ready to take us into space on a space tour, like as if you would go on an air balloon ride or something like that. I just wanted to know from you guys, would you consider going, being on like the, maybe the third or fourth crew to go on a Virgin galactic flight into space and be a space tourist? I would need to be, it would need to exist for about a year or two. I don't know. Oh, that, that may be the fourth flight. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. I need to see footage. I need to see real footage of people surviving and thriving on these trips and coming back and and coming back, first of all, with their, <laughs> with their whole body intact, not like an armpit. You know when you come back um, pixelated? I don't want to come see anyone come back. Pixelated. I don't know. No, why not? Why not, man? Seriously. Would you be the first? Yeah, why not? I mean, I'm nervous, but I'll do it. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be crazy nervous, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'd, I'd do it. I just wouldn't be the first. And also, I don't have two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. So <laughs> there, there, there is that um, extra bit to it. I would love to be the first. Like, the, I, I'm gonna actually add it to my vision board. Ooh. As soon as it's available, like, yeah, I, I want to do it. I mean, if you're going to go out in a bang, at least that is, like, wow. look, I died in space. That's huge. I like the idea of being able to see the Earth. I think that's amazing. Like, the feeling that you would get from being able to see, like, the Earth below you. But I like the Earth is really flat. 
that's another thing. Let's just <laughs> say you got up there and it really no. was like, no. no it's, 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 I knew it was Asgard. Do you think we're like Asgard that you could just fall off the edge? Might do. <laughs> Until we get up there for actual identify our own proof. I'm just um, really scared of. I don't like. Do you know what the thing is? I love a flight, but I don't like flying. I love a flight, but I don't like flying. But I like the idea of being on a rocket would be amazing. But getting onto it, and also, what's the cheapest price? It has to be like bus pass money. Then I'll get on it. Like, <laughs> like pounds. Yeah. Well, and how long does that take? Which zone? Is it which zone is space? <laughs> <laughs> it's true though if you pay more maybe you go further and you go close to mars no no no. let's not do a diversion trip let's no 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 no, no. we're talking one stop to the to the to, to, to the moon where are we going anyway where's this trip it's just no it's, it's just to you just go in, in orbit. orbit yeah that's it you're just in orbit if you get there and then the aliens come and take you that's what i'm saying there's a lot <laughs> of things that we can see i've been that's waiting what I'm for saying. this is what i'm saying you're going to check your friends nana Yes, yeah. <laughs> right, anyway, um, can we welcome into the fa family and not the aliens? <laughs> is it, me? it is you, my sweetie pa. <laughs> well, you're not ready, my sweetie pie. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened first. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so, Bobby, Nana, welcome the potential aliens. Go on. <laughs> All I can say. Like, if you see me out there, like that lady sung, I will be on the corner, generally in something denim. I'm waiting for you guys. Please welcome me into your family. Uh, in past ghetto, I'm ready to leave. Okay, I know who I want to welcome. What's her name? Her name, is, her name is Bucky. What's her surname, Auntie AK? Bucky, Bucky, Bucky. Right. I'd like to welcome her to the family because I think that she gave an amazing performance and she deserves all the accolades that she's getting right now. And I just think that she's very super talented and she's got a long way to go. And I look forward to seeing her career. So welcome to the family. And that's Bookie Backway who stars in Rocks. And I've spoken, to, I mean, the girl is, if you guys have watched Wicked. her like, after conversations, she's really, really deep as well. She's a phenomenally deep, deep, deep girl. And she's only like, what, 18 or something? Is she? Yeah, she's young. She's a bubba. As the first, Rox is her first role. She wasn't even considering acting. Wow. Literally. Brilliant in it. She's done, she's super, really, really good in it. So, so and guys, um, she's, um, she's, um, yeah, exactly. She's um, um, nominated as one of BAFTA, EE BAFTA Rising Stars. And this is the public vote. I urge you. I'm not allowed to take sides because there's Chope de Saru and Ben's, Kingsley Benadir as well. All great actors, but my little heart is with, um, is with uh, Bookie, and she's also nominated for Best Actress, which is huge. And if you go to BAFTA's um, YouTube channel, I spoke to her and the other leading ladies, that's Alfre Woodard, Vanessa Kirby, Wumi Masaku, I know there's someone else I'm missing, and Rada Blank. They're that, by the way, was an amazing conversation. Well done to you. Oh, I didn't know you watched it, thanks. But yeah, go and watch that, it's really good. And it's just to see Bookie's phenomenal, brilliant. So yes, Auntie Farah, a good one. And Auntie Nana, I welcome the aliens. Thanks, man. When, when, when I leave the earth and there's just like my shoes left behind, you know what happened. It was the aliens. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to, I can't even. Can you just... What, what is that? No, no, we can't, we can't. No, 
Can you say hello to all the um, the people listening right now? Yes, yes. Hello, everybody. Hello, Jeff Schumann. Hello, Candies, and hello, Nicola. Welcome, and hopefully, we're going to have a well. We are going to have a fantastic show. We are going to have a fantastic show. Welcome and benvenue. Welcome. I don't know why. I mean. <laughs> It was fun while it lasted. And last time, what have you heard? What have you heard, ladies, in the news? What's in the headlines? What have you heard? I think, Auntie Nana, it's you first. Am I? I'm like that. I'm sure. No one looks like running orders this week. It's fine. We're going to come Sorry, sorry, sorry. We didn't read it. <laughs> okay. Well, the, my, my one's like a, a topic that I guess everybody has probably been speaking about with their peers and online and arguing over. It's the race report that was um, put out last, what was it, Saturday, I think it was, Friday or Saturday that it came out. And I'd never know how to pronounce this guy's name. Is it Tony Sewell? Sewell. I, think, I say Sewell. Or, okay. I don't know. T- t- Tony, Tony and the gang. Decided to put out a race report that has lots of dubious pieces of content. But the overall thing that I was getting was it it really seemed to go along these lines of um, really denouncing institutional racism. And I felt that was the most troubling part to the report. Not to say that saying that, um, you know, the UK is the beacon of a white country. I thought that was like a bit misleading, but really honing in on institutional racism being like a myth or something that is inaccurate and doesn't exist was what was the outcome of the report. From you ladies, what I wanted to know was your general opinion, if you've read any of it or just had snippets, what you think, but also what would you actually expect from a very good racial report? And what do you think an accurate racial report would say? Auntie Sade? Um, well, yeah, the report itself, it just wasn't true. <laughs> it's just, it was a beacon of lies. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't pay too much attention to it. I, did, I was surprised that it got so much attention these reports usually never do get that much attention but I guess because of the content of it what it was just lying blatantly lying and like companies you know institutions will tell you that you know they've still got stuff to work on so how did they they magically not become institutionally racist it's just ridiculous um but yeah what do I think a good one will say I think it would just be honest and just say yeah like you know we have issues and we but but we are working on them but the main thing is that they have actionable uh actions I guess <laughs> actionable actions I think they just have really kind of like tangible goals tangible things that can help change the situation rather than just saying, oh, yes, we know that there's racism within our company and or, you know, whatever, and not doing anything. No, there's no action afterwards. There's no plan. Do you know what I mean? It's just like stating the obvious. It's just like, yeah, we know that. So now what? And there's never really like a good, solid um, follow up, really and truly. Even in this, like, what is their follow up? What? What? what what is it just hands down like tools down now? Is that what it is? It's like our oh, racism's over, institutional 
like racism is over. We, the job is done now. We don't need to do anything. Is that what it is? Because that, if that is, if that's what they're saying, it's kind of in line with all the other reports out there. They don't really have tangible things. So, yeah, I would just like something with like a really like thought out plan, strategy, um, investment streams, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, with a plan, really. Auntie Farah. Hmm. Okay. So I started reading it. I haven't read all a hundred and million pages of it. I started reading it. Um, it's upsetting because they keep saying, or the report says that um, we've entered an era of participation. So they were talking about how we're not in the Windrush age and we're not in the eighties. We've entered this new fantastic era of particip participation and that, um, you know, because we're in this new place, there is no institutional racism. What we have are elements of racism, but it's not institutional. Despite all the facts and the figures, you know, uh, and also the, the thing, the problem that I have about the facts and the figures, these graphs can be easily. The powers that be don't want to hear what Auntie Farah has got to say. They got in there. Um, so I'll pick up and while she's, I think it's her laptop. Oh, yeah, you're back. Wicked. That was good. Quick. Yeah, you got kicked out and then you came back. That was so weird. Yeah. Oh, God, this bloody laptop. Anyway, anywho, what was I saying? Finish I was me. saying, that, so they talked about education and they talked about the disparities in education between uh, black Caribbean kids, black African kids, and then white children and of, from poorer families and stuff like that. And they, but, and they, I'm getting, I'm losing my, my um, train of thought, but my, my, what I took away from it was just that rather than look at the real facts and to why people say that there is institutional racism because it is within the institutions that form these you know put people into these categories and make up these laws and these rules and enforce these laws and you know perpetuate stereotypes and problems by you know the the number of the number of black children the number of black boys that get stopped on the streets is who's stopping them the institution is stopping them the number of black boys that get expelled from school Who's stopping them? The institution is stopping them. So it's in the, just wave a little brush and say, actually, it's not the institution. It's it's a few racist people. Even when we, we talk about things like the fact that more black women die in childbirth. Why does that happen? It's the institution, no? There's something happening within the institution that is causing these problems. And to just say we're, we're in an era of participation for who? Because, yes, let's all it's, it's granted it's a lot different to when I gra our grandparents or our parents came to this country it is a lot different but fucking hell it's not like it's all roses here the bit that i took most um offense to was this fact and they're coming out and saying this is not what they meant now but talking about how slavery we should slightly be grateful that slavery happened because it's now allowed us to be you know what we've held on to our cultural identity and it's allowed us to be these black british people Fuck you, yeah? The fact that you, Tony Sewell, Sewell, whatever the fuck your fucking name is, yeah? Sorry to swear. But I cannot stand when people make out like, I should be grateful that I can't trace my ancestry. 
No, I shouldn't. I should be grateful that Africa is still suffering as a large continent, is still suffering to this day from the effects of colonialism. I should be, and, and then they, they were talking about, we don't want to pull down statues. What we actually want to do is to not erase our history, is to, is to make children understand our history. Okay, well, if that's the case, make children understand the blood that went behind these things have a plaque on these statues that say what this person did don't just highlight that this person ooh, they did well and they they you know they built houses what else did they do did they own slaves what does that mean to own slaves what does that mean in terms of the structure of the society that we live in today from the fact that these people benefited from slavery so yeah it just it was a little bit offensive, not a little bit, it was it was very offensive to me. As I said, I haven't read it all. I've, I've read reports on people reading the whole thing. I've listened to podcasts on people reading the whole thing. And from the bit that I read, it was I, I, I just found it very one-sided. And the fact that they kept talking about, you know, we're ethnic, we're people from ethnic backgrounds ourselves and we've experienced racism. Not everybody is for everyone. Yeah. What does Auntie Nana say? There's something that you say, Auntie Nana, which is is brilliant. But like not uh, not all black people are allies and not all black people are for black people. So I don't care what the colour of your skin is, Tony. You clearly have a different experience than the rest of us. That's that. Not all skin folk are kin folk. That's the one. Um, so I, I got up to a certain point, also couldn't read it, because I had a life and deadlines that were more important than reading this report. But I did want to read it against the backlash because the headlines and sensationalism will make us go down a route. And then I wanted to double check that the sensationalism route that I was going down and joining everybody with my pitchforks was accurate. And I went back and what I read, I was like, first, first clear thing that pissed me off already was the fact that they said, we haven't done extensive, we haven't done the full gamut of re research. We weren't able to, or so you guys decided, let's do this research, but within, without knowing that there's something like this needs extensive research. Let's do a report that we know needs lots of research, but you chose to take a section of the research and then present that as fact, and then get upset when people are saying, well, this is not fact, because we know what we know, what we've had to deal with since the McPherson report in what, 99 or whatever, when that was released, since then, we've been, it's been stamped that the UK is institutionally racist, or the police force, but then also the UK, right? But yet now you lot are doing a quarter or half-assed report saying we don't, and you actually admitted, I didn't have time to do, we didn't have time to do the full research, but these are our findings. Present it differently then. Just say, we're, this is ongoing research. We haven't got all our conclusive facts. And these are some of the things that we found, but it's not conclusive. Don't deliver it as a final report, because then this is why people are pissed off. Um, so first of all, that, that's what pissed me. I took loads of notes. Um, I felt like overall also the report didn't tell us anything new that none of all the other reports have said the same thing. You guys have remixed it. Also, the language that was used, it sounded like Tony was talking to us and it was very um, conversational. So it seemed like a, what, a GCSE, maybe social studies report, like not uh, one that's going to be used in, in government and law and research as a document that we can hold weight to. Because I can hear him when he was praising Danny Boyle's freaking 2012 Olympics as a version of what the UK looks like. Are you a fucking performer? Come on now. You cannot quote Danny Boyle, like Danny Boyle's performance of the Olympics. And this is the type of England that we, UK that, we, oh, come on, come on. Not in an official report. That is not the, that is not a signposting. That is not, it's not. Uh, who remembers the 2012 Olympics? Barely. 
um, and keep going on about Danny Boyle and all that shit. So that, that again, the language was too colloquial, just too familiar. And I didn't like that. The information was what we've seen already. Nothing's been, nothing that they said hadn't been said before. The whole thing about we're going to reclaim the word BAME. How many people have already been talking about reclaiming the word, not reclaiming it, getting rid of the word BAME, the acronym BAME? But yet you said that, but yet throughout the whole document, you're talking about ethnic minorities. So what's your point? Because you're also using a, a term that we don't like either. Because And then you actually use the words white majority and ethnic minority. Come on now. That is the exact evidence of brainwashed by the institutional racism that we've grown up under by using these term and terms so freely in a document that's, oh, come on, come on, come on, people. Um, lots of little things that p jumped out at me. Uh, things about like educating us about the great British empire, the making of modern Britain, all this stuff, talking about our curriculum, we already said that the curriculum is racist, and you're saying that it's not institutionally racist, but like Auntie Farah said, the schools are institutionally racist. That's why we have a disproportionate amount of black children, whatever um, heritage they're from, there's a problem because teachers, black and white, or um, Asian, all teachers come in with a stereotype of uh, black children. That comes from the institution that we have formed under. I don't understand, I don't have, I mean, I could go through, I've got made so many, so many, so many notes. I, 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 I don't wanna take up time, but I just felt like it was very, 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 very dry, very rubbish, a waste of time. And you've got um, the scientist, what's her name, Dr. Maggie, who at first, you know, everyone loved her and now she's come to shoot herself in the foot because, you know, she, yay, black woman scientist that gets rolled out on everything and really proud of her. And then she's coming out to defend it and getting confused as to why, you know, we've had lots of um, criticism and people are coming at us personally. Well, of course you are because you came at us personally with this really half-assed report. So, um, I mean, there's more, but I'll, I'll let Auntie Nana pick up some stuff. I just think it was a waste of time, waste of time. Now, you guys covered almost everything that I was going to say. I, uh, again, I just have one, one question that popped into my head when I was saying this is the, this is the topic that I wanted to discuss. And it's still, I still keep on thinking about it. Can they go to any black events, especially <laughs> Dr. Maggie? Like, really, can, can they really step into black society, black world with any modicum of respect? especially Dr. Maggie, because she was, like, we have her her book in the boys' bedroom, like, literally, like, she was, like, a beacon of, of Black excellence, and then she's shown herself to be an absolute ass, and they rolled her out because she was popular, yeah. and they knew that they couldn't do that with Tony, because he has already been seen as, a, you know, we know all the names, he had already yeah. been seen as that. So it was a bit surprising that she was a part of it. Most of the people on the that, that were a part of this have similar leanings. Like they were already a part of the institution and that they don't accept it to be racist. They there was no diversity of opinion. They were all of a similar ilk writing this report, following it through for a conservative government. It was like you did exactly what Boris would have expected. And yeah, it was, but she, for me, was the disappointing one. So can they, do any of you think that they can go out into black society for the next couple of years? Shut up, shut They can try. <laughs> they can definitely try. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think like anyone that's going to do these sorts of things, I just think like, 
you're you're going to be corrupted by association anyway. Do you know what I mean? So I just I just don't hold any of them in any sort of regard. It's just like whatever, man. <laughs> I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it, but I don't know. Like if, if it was a family member, because I, yeah. I kept on thinking like if Tony was in my family and he decided to come round for like Christmas, what do you do? Like, what do you say to him? You would have to have words. You'd have to have words. Like, what are you thinking? Like, how dare you? Actually, to be honest, it'll be like, you know, just like, not, 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 what, what's it called? Just not, you're disgracing the family's name. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You're disgracing the family name. Like, I would be ashamed if that was someone in my family. 100%. It's just like, come on, like, honestly, what are you doing? Like, you're setting us back 100 years. That's you're essentially, that's what you're doing. And it's just like, why, why, why you? Why are you being chosen to do this? So you're not even thinking about that. And sometimes I do think like, and I get it, like I do, I, I do get the whole, um, th- this is why I go. And I know it's a bit dangerous sometimes, but it's just like, not everyone deserves a voice, you know? We didn't need this. We did, we absolutely did not need this at all. Like we had a report not too long ago. I think that was basically about NHS. There was another yeah. one um, last year. Like what the hell? Like w- there was no need for this at all, especially at the- and so many people up and down the country are actually trying to make a difference in this area. Why did we need this? And also as well, like the people that put it out like shame on them too. They didn't have to push this. Didn't have to, but they chose to. It's just, it's just a nonsense. It's just stoking racial tension. That's what it's doing. Yeah. And those people do not belong in our community. I'm sorry, they don't. A few people said it's gaslighting, isn't it? It's yeah. definitely gaslighting. And and you've got to um, you've got to think about as you said, Auntie Shade. Why did they choose him to do this? Sorry, why did they choose him to do this? You know. He, he willingly went. There's so many people who are fighting for the cause in one way or another, whether that be in the, in the medical profession, whether that, whether that be in education, whether that be in human rights, whatever it, prison system, whatever it may be, there are so many people who are out there fighting for the cause. They could have contacted those guys and had them on the board because they're coming from a place where they understand what's happening. These people on the board don't have this. They, like Tony, we all know, doesn't feel that way. He doesn't feel like there's a problem. So if you go into something and you're the head of it and you don't feel like there's a problem, what's the outcome going to be, really and truly? And even if there are people on the board that might feel some type of way to say something, are they going to be brave enough to actually say it? That's mm-hmm. the other issue. So, yeah. I he's mean, come out and he's, sorry, he's come out now and he said, um, that I, hang on, where is it? I've, he said, um, it's absurd to suggest that the commission is trying to downplay the evil of the slave trade. It is both ridiculous and offensive to each and every member of the commission. The report merely says that in the face of inhumanity of slavery, African people preserve their humanity and their culture. So why don't you say that? Because you didn't say that in the in the report. It, it glossed over it. And also, why do you need to say that? That's, that's my point. Why, why, so why do you need to bring that up? Because... Yeah, we yeah, we okay, we managed to hold on to our Africanness, thanks. And Caribbeans managed to create some sort of culture out of the fucking madness that you put them through, taking them from Africa, so they had to form their by force. So oh. we are African uh, in all the different countries in, on the continent have who were touched by slavery directly had to adapt under that thing. So our culture might is not even our culture in a sense, because we it's under the cosh 
of fucking imperialism and colonialism and slavery. So no, thank you to that. Um, and the report does say, that's what, that's what Maggie kept going on with. And they said, and they keep saying, the people who are for the report keep saying, um, we made recommendations, you're ignoring the recommendations. And so I was looking at the recommendations. And again, everything that they're highlighting is what's being done anyway. So what's your point for these recommendations? Because we have already had these recommendations. Now, what this report should have been done, should have done, is actually call out all the recommendations that have not been met just yet. That's where we could have been like, this is a better report. That we talk about making a better report. This report is a report on the reports that haven't been fulfilled by the by the institutional racist government that we're under. Now that is a report would be a bad boy report. Now we're reporting. Well, this deadline's been missed. We've got this deadline set to change the NHS to change the police. Because out ninety nine, the McPherson report came out on the back of Stephen Lawrence murder. Stephen Lawrence's murder ninety nine, the and all now, all now, and then it suggests stop and search, reform, stop and search. How long have we been talking about reforming, stop and search, please? How long have we been talking? And then the curriculum, sorry, now I'm remembering my bits, my bobs. Um, <laughs> the they say they made it out like they um, banned white, because I think they made a reference to banning white um, authors, or, or white people from the curriculum at large. I'm paraphrasing a bit. No one ever said that. They are introducing more black and ethnic uh Histor histories into the curriculum. They're not erasing white history. They're not erasing people in the United But why are you saying that? As, no one ever said that they're going to ban it because you can't. You're, we're in the UK. We all understand that. We just want true history taught in our curriculums, true narratives. Like Auntie Farah said, if you're going to teach about whichever freaking statue person is being honored, teach their true history. That's all we're asking. True history. Don't have this empire, Great British Empire, when it's fucked. Now, what did you say coming to the part? Yeah, go on, go on. Sorry. He said, about um, in his forward about uh, yeah. so he says neither neither the banning of white authors or token expressions of black achievement will help broaden young minds. We have argued against bringing down statues. Instead, we want all children to reclaim their British heritage. Now, fuck you on that because at the end, who is we? Exactly. Me, you. That's what you want. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just and, ridiculous. I just can't. And also, as well, it's just like this whole notion of like teaching black history. It's your history too. It's everyone. It's all of our history. Yeah. And I just think this whole like calling out African like preserving their cultures. It's just ridiculous. That's just causing a divide. That's all you're yeah. doing. You're playing to divide within the community. So no, bun you, Tony. Get the hell out of here. Sorry. Sorry, so I'm so incensed. Sorry, I'm remembering all the bits and mentioning working class white. Because someone did a someone did an article. A white man was like, "Yes, we, you know, that report highlighted how we're being ignored." That's not our fault, you know. There's still institutional racism, and exactly. it's, it has a knock-on effect exactly. to the white working class. We never talk because at the end of the day, we're all down in the trenches together, aren't we? Just about so. It's not us that's holding you back, white people in the working class. You got to talk to your people. Don't not at the expense of our report about us. <laughs> or situation about us in this country, but so that was deliberate. That was absolutely deliberate. deliberate why they put it in there because you want <laughs> you want factions who associate themselves with being at the bottom to be fighting over the scraps, and really the alliance of everybody being like we're not going to suffer under this regime that has been imposed on us should be the order of the day. I think. What I really took away from it was, uh, I can't remember which article I read, and they likened it to 
the Trump report that came out just before he David, left. Guardian, David Olisson. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I went and read part of that report and it was like, oh, this is a whole new kind of thought stream that they want to put out there into the world, really, that we all embrace the shittiness of history and we come under these umbrella terms. So they can see it, how it's really effectively worked in America, taking on being African-American. So you still subscribe to this American dream, like we're, we're a part of this. And I think that's what the British are seeing, actually, we really need, it wasn't, it wasn't enough just giving them a passport because they're still quite independent. We need them to wholly adopt into this Britishness and put that before their home countries. And if we start it now, because you know that they're going to implement it in education, this was just the, the rollout to get it going because do we have an effective government that's going to go against the Conservatives? They're probably going to be in for another, another few terms. And then they're going to be able to put this into education. So institutional racism is like going against the establishment, like you're literally like really against your country. And then you repackage it like, no, but it was all needed because look at where we are now. We build it up. We left the European Union. It's like all a part of the same thing, that this manky little island is some special utopian place and it absolutely isn't. There's shit everywhere and, and rubbish on the streets. Like we... What we really should be doing is focusing on our exit strategy from this place. Yeah. We all need to just leave this island alone because it has very little for us now. We need to start thinking like the Polish. Let's get the comments. I just want to say, David Lammy, that's why that conversation that David Lammy had on LBC irritated me. And now this report kind of underpins why. And there was something else, but let's get the comments. You see what he was driving at, that whole thing of, no, no, I want to be considered English. That's I what I'm saying. Was like, like shut up exactly you are not speaking for me no but the thing is though and i identify as a black british person i don't say i'm english right i think we all here say we're, we're black british whether that be caribbean or african whatever right but the thing is though i do disagree with her point about he shouldn't be allowed to say it i'm fucking born here if i want to say i'm english i have the right as a person who is born in this country to say that i'm english because that's where it comes from it's where you're born so he has the right to say that and whilst i don't necessarily agree with everything else he went down the path of saying he has he's got the right to say he's english she can't turn around to him and say she cannot turn around to him and say that you can't say you're english because you're african caribbean bruv where was i born where were you born? Yes, but and then she and then she and then she's getting into the te technical elements of she's traced her lineage back to the dinosaurs. Well, that's nice for you. <laughs> you can because we can't. So I'm really well, she, glad. She didn't have a she didn't have a proper argument. And at the end of the day, it's just that we all call ourselves black British, or if we do, you use that term or British Nigerian or British Ghanaian or whatever. Like, but why is that though? Why, why, yeah. why do we use that term? Where does that come from? That's because, to be honest, that's what's been taught to us. That's what's been available in forms. Do you know what I mean? That's what we're encouraged to do. And there has been this, 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 this kind of narrative of, like, as a black person, you're not, you're not British. You're, um, so you're not English, you're British. And actually, actually, why am I English, though? Really and truly, why am I not English Nigerian? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, why am I not? And that's just to put, and it, that is, that that narrative is racist within itself. Do you know what I mean? So if you want to call yourself English, call yourself English if, if, if you're born here. 
I don't think there's any problem with that at all. There shouldn't Either. be a problem. African Americans call themselves African Americans. So why can't we call ourselves and I'm not and I'm not suggesting that we do, but it's like you said, Auntie Shade. No. This is what we this is what we've been taught. I once had a job and I refused to fill out the form because I said to them, You need to tell me what it is you want to know. Do you want to know what country my parents come from? And do you want to know what colour I am? Because I see one box and it says white. And everything else has got 10,000 different things. So what do you want to know? And until you tell me what you want to know, I ain't filling that in. So the, the, my point is that I'm not arguing with. I just felt the whole conversation was a waste of time on LBC in that way. And then the report comes out. It seems like a thread. I don't disagree with the point because it's funny because up until that point I'd always staunchly refused to call myself English because I felt like that's a white thing and I hadn't thought about it that way because the conditioning I was like I'm not English but I, I don't actually want to claim any type of place at this point because it's a displacement anyway but I was always in my mind English people are white um so that what that his point was right but I just felt that whole conversation was a waste of time because well, of the grand scheme of things I think actually Farah, your last point was exactly why I thought that conversation was redundant. The, the And always in forms, there's all these other categories for the others. And there's just white. And that to me needed to be his only point. I can absolutely say I'm anything that I want to be because I can say that. Because she has that right. She can go somewhere and just put white. She could be in Spain, South Africa, it doesn't matter. She doesn't have to categorise herself and she can select I'm British I'm English you you could be like oh I'm a white person in Japan there's no putting the categories in there so to me it was like arguing your point for this redundant Englishness when you've been in this country you see what this land is it's barren there's nothing here like why would you even want to it was like this is you're giving her too much status in arguing with her trying to claim Englishness it's like that it that whole conversation, but if he wanted to, it was just the back and forth. You're arguing with an ignorant person. You both looked ignorant because you who can tell the difference? It was just, you're arguing with a fool, you're a fool. He just needed to cut the call. It's like, you're the one in a position of authority and us arguing for these labels that we didn't ask for. Yeah, that to me is the redundant thing. It's like, why am I arguing? Let's get the comments, which of the, with, with, oh, I can't speak, of which there are loads. Yes, <laughs> there is. Okay. All right. So I'll start with Jeff Schumann's one. He says, um, it gave the outcome it was supposed, it was commissioned to do. No surprise at all. Uh, Sonia says, I listened to a podcast over the weekend where it was reported that Mr. Sewell is known for his long held stance that institutional racism does not exist. Nicholas says, imagine Sewell was part of the education of our black boys and girls generating genius. That is why anyone with a queen's honour, I have to look at them and side eye. Victoria goes on to say, Tony Sewell, um, even when he was at The Voice, wrote for a shock effect and he is probably getting off on the reaction. Not just him, just, yeah, the conservatives are. Nicholas says, not all skin folk are kinfolk. Candy says, most of the people saw claim to have worked with say they were not involved with the report. Nicholas says, it was a poor dissertation. Candice goes on to say, I came across really venomous, uh, it came across really venomous in its language. 
uh, okay, I'm just trying to find another long one. Okay, so I'll go on to Nicola. He said, she says he highlighted that African people come here and do better than Caribbean children, but then said that the home counties and outside London suffer greater. Therefore, a contributing factor is more about regional over race. I think that really contradicted itself as well. Uh, Jeff Schumann says social conditioning as powerful as ever. Um, well, there's so many comments. Okay, going forward to, to Fadswa says, Dr. Maggie said there was potentially institutional racism in the 1960s. So one, how did that potential institutional racism manifest itself? Two, when did the potential institutional racism potentially end? And three, what government policies potentially ended that potential institutional racism? <laughs> and Queer says, as I have been saying all week, this racist project is over 500 years and continuing. This, the only way to see everything they are doing to us, how is what they are doing serving the system? People work for those who pay for them. Tony Sewell and friends are not paid by us. That's the only thing we need to know. Nana is right. Start planning your exit strategy. We all know that that it does not matter if you are born here. If they want to, they will chuck us out. And um, yeah. I, I just have to read this comment from... Um, Jeff Schumann to Fadswa asked and was just like bigging him up for being here. And Jeff Schumann says to Fadswa, This is one of my weekly highlights. Real, real talk to real people. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jeff. Um, and just to say, Dr. Maggie, she'd been on a show, uh, Radio London for Definite, talking about her, the racism she experienced in the science world. But, you know. Okay. I, I, I think as a queer said though like you work for the people that pay you yeah and yeah. a lot of people on the commission have distanced themselves from this report and said that they won't actually ask for any input so that's also interesting and yeah, yeah some guys it was like a, it was like really badly organized he came to a room didn't know that he was well the zoom i guess he didn't know that what it was about they weren't prepared they weren't prepped so they came in thinking they're having one type of conversation then it went left and he said people, some people left the group that he was in and <laughs> said like the information that they asked to contribute was from prior reports that wasn't targeted at this report. So that if they'd been asked, given the right tools, they would have done a report based on the report question. Yeah. You know? Anyway, Auntie Sade, what have you heard? <laughs> okay, so my story is about Pimlico Academy, um, a school in London, um, who gave a great example of people power when uh, students protested over school rules that had racist undertones. Um, so they had rules like your hair can't block anyone else's view and um, things like uh, your hijab can only be um, certain colours. Um, and basically the students fought back and they refused to Oh. So it was a great victory um, for young people, but it you've cut out again. Cut out, Auntie Shade. Oh. You're cutting out a lot. Hello? You just said you cut oh. out. Okay, oh. what about now? You're speaking. Yeah, no? it's okay now. It's okay now. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, cool. So where did you where did you hear it? Um, um, it was a great um it was a great victory for young people. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So yes, it was a great victory for young people and it did get me thinking about um France. So at the moment in France for young girls in particular, if they so happen to be Muslim, the Senate has basically banned them from wearing hijabs um until they're 18 and banned um if their mothers accompanying them on school trips um that they cannot wear hijabs too. And I just wondered like what how not how did we get here? I think we know how we got here. But this kind of um growing um uh, racism, anti-blackness, um, Islamophobia. Um, do you think that? Uh, do you think that this is it's growing in Europe? Is it is it like tying into the last discussion, that kind of thing? Is it kind of still growing here? Um, and do you think that they will have? You know, young people have the power to kind of shut this down, basically. Antifara. Oh, I think her thing's frozen. Can you hear me? You are, you are you me now. Okay. I have to say that um, I was so proud of all those children in Pimlico that came together to protest against this and the way that they did it as well. You know, it wasn't violent. They weren't rude. They just, they protested nicely. There was a clip that I saw with a young boy following the headmaster, asking him questions, and the headmaster was just walking off. He's like, why won't you answer me? Why won't you answer me? Sir, sir, why won't you answer me? Like, I just thought, oh my God, if that had happened in my school, that would have been amazing. Um, but in France, I think they've been trying to go down this road for a long time. They're also banning the burqa. Um, for you know, and I and I just don't understand what their point is because you're not banning nuns, are you? You're not banning you're not banning a nun that's going to walk down the road in her habit, hobbit, whatever I can't remember what it's called that thing anyway on her head. You're not banning that. And if a nun wants to go swimming and she's wearing something, you're not banning that. So it's clear that you're doing it for, because of their religion. Um, also, at the moment, they're saying that the president is scared of losing the election. Um, and so he's trying to engage with all these right wing people. And he knows that this is the path that he needs to go down. So it's just un it's just unfortunate that in the 21st century, this is still happening. And I just hope that enough people get behind, you know, and protest against this unlawful act. You know, it's inhumane to state that one religion should be accepted and another re religion shouldn't. That's my thoughts on that. Um, yeah. I can't remember what your question was, Auntie Shade. Sorry. So I'm basically just asking, like, do you think young people? Have we seen a small example in Pimlico? Do you think because this is affecting young people essentially, um, yeah. and it's targeted on young girls basically. So, like, do you mm -hmm. think that they have the capability to kind of shut this down? I just see like a growing. I do. It's becoming more right wing, and whether young people are the answer to to change that, basically. I, I think. I, I mean, I'm very hopeful that they are. And the reason that I have this hope is because you see young people from all types of life interact with each other. Well, we certainly do anyway, don't we? We see young people from all types of life interact with each other and understand different cultures so that if they see something, they highlight it. Because it wasn't just about, in Pimlico, it wasn't just about the colour of the hijabs that the um, girls were wearing. It was also about Afro hair and stuff like that. And they just saw that this is totally wrong and they highlighted it and they, they sat down and they stood for it. So if they're doing this now while they're 15, 16, 17 years old in school, 
I'd like to think that, wow, what are these young children going to go on and do? So, uh, you know, I, I always have hope for the next generation. I'd like to think that we've probably improved things slightly in, in, in a way, maybe not to the point where we, our parents had probably hoped it, we would go. Definitely not if you fucking look at the race report. But, um, you know, I think voices become bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just, I, and I hope that translates into the way that um, rules are set within governments and legislations and all of that thing. Auntie Nana. Okay. Yeah. To to answer your question, I do, I do think there is. I'm hopeful that young people are um, are gonna actually like have that real activism spirit within them and start taking up. Like uh, they're not gonna have it in a way. There's been like a lull where certain things were giving to generations. Like every every time, it was a little bit better. Like they they gave a little bit more. They gave a crumb in the right direction and people kind of got um, placated by it. And I think at this point, because there's so much information and maybe our generation are educated um, in a different way. And so the younger ones are being educated slightly differently to not accept what the establishment feed to you. Um, hopefully things will change. But um, I went to school right near Pimlico. And when I was there in the 90s, they had a similar protest about exactly the same thing. It wasn't about the hijabs, because again, that's a cultural, that's a cultural development that ha that's kind of happened in the last 10 years, 10 to 20 years. But when I was there, it was definitely firmly the black kids feeling like the it's a, it's a non-uniform school, and I think it still is a non-uniform school, but there was a policing of the black kids and what they wore and how their hair was, which wasn't being policed in the same way on the white kids. Um, and then treatment of, of, of children in the school and just the rate of expulsion. So again, there was this thing of like, the young people being like, we're not having it in this school and protesting. But also what that suggests is this school has a real problem that should be being looked into, that if in recent history, I remember when they were protesting and they're out protesting again, the school needs to actually be on special measures and the and Ofsted need to be looking into how they're treating their students because it, should, it shouldn't be happening that, you know, 15 years later, they're complaining about the same shit. There's something wrong with the institution in the school and maybe they need to be, that it needs to be closed down and, and, and re-evaluated and the kids go to other schools. But I'm I'm hopeful for the future. I think that there's enough information out there for the next generations to really to really shake things up and, and change things. I'm very hopeful. Um I'm also hopeful, but I think similarly similarly to what Auntie Anna was saying about us not getting complacent because something happens, children have rebellious spirits and they see things very black and white and they're not well. Apart from those who are raised in the right, in the quotes, right way, they don't see race as an issue and gender as an issue. That in that, do you know what I mean? They're they're, they're less um, judgy. I, I'm trying to find my words. Um, so they come up in this space where you're just my mate, in it. You're just my friend, and they try, they push against society's impositions about what how they should be. However, something happens the older they get, and those sensibilities get placated they get complacent and then they get bogged down by society's ills, that stress and all that type of stuff, and they forget their rebellious spirit. Um, to 
to laughingly quote the report. The report said that the 80s generations are the, re the rebels and um, that, that generation paved the way for the new generation to be kind of either, I think there was a generation that kind of got complacent because they thought everything was good and then they forgot that actually things aren't good and now we've, we've given birth to children like, now nah, fuck that, we're gonna change things. Um, and I, But the only the difference is, I think, is that we have the internet, we have these hands across the world where we're now more connected than ever than in the 60s and 70s and 80s where you couldn't get ready information. Right now you have no excuse to not know what's going on in the world and where there's similar things happening and to see the conspiracies as realities and stuff like that. So hopefully these children will keep that. And I, I am extremely proud of them. And I think that the, the, the principal has kind of issued a kind of apology or something like that. I don't know how things will change, if it will affect change. Um, Similarly, my daughter went to the same school as Auntie Nana. And similarly, when she heard about this, she was like, I'm so proud because this school's had, got a reputation of having problems and it's in all in the same area. So she's similarly like, yeah, go them. But also the experience she had in her school, that area is it's kind of like a you know West End type of central area with a very middle class, upper class, plus working class hodgepodge of people coming together, they, those schools have institutional, hello, institutional racist problems. Sending your child, this is a whole other conversation, sending your child to those type of schools, as, hope, as aspirational parents wanting them to do well in those environments, I definitely am glad my daughter went to that school, to the school that she went to, that's in the same area as Pimlico, but they had issues and they targeted black girls in a way that was very racist. And I, I, I yeah, they had a lot of problems and that school's principal actually had to leave on the back of some nonsense, not just racist, just generally how she was executing and um, running the school anyway. So in general, I'm just really proud of these kids. Uh, in regards to France, they've been long been doing this. France is extremely racist, extremely racist. And it makes no sense why you wanna beat down someone's, I mean, what, what difference does it make when they're 18 wearing a hijab to when they're young? I don't even get it. It's just so disrespectful, so disrespectful, so insulting. And I just, I don't know, I don't know. Auntie Shade. Yeah, no, I agree with everything that's being said, actually. I do think that, um, and I think you're kind of all touching on it, like with every generation, you have to fight all injustice all over again. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like, um, it's actually nice, not, you know, it is nice seeing it from, you know, being this age and seeing people with so much, um, you know, energy, um, uh, trying to do the right thing but I think you're right in terms of like we're definitely more, more of a connected world now so I'm hoping that these things you know will be shut down uh, globally to be honest um, and I do think but I do think there is a rise of like Trumpism I think across Europe that's what I think is we, we it seems like there is this push like to go more right extreme at the moment kind of thing. And France is definitely like um, uh, um, showing that. And I do think that even like here in the UK, like with them trying to ban protests and things like that, had those rules been in place, would those young people be able to do the protests that they did? I, I, I don't think so. Do you know what I mean? So it's just, um, just a reminder, I guess, kind of thing that with every generation, yeah, we, me to keep fighting and encouraging the youth and also as well with Pimlico school I if I'm I don't know maybe this needs to be fact-checked but I'm pretty sure that didn't Tony Blair's children go there at one point and no I'm not didn't? I know no, I, the 
I know that Tony yeah. Blair's was it Tony Blair or Michael Gove's mm -hmm. daughter? Yeah, one of the politician's child went to Great Oaks, but I yeah. yeah, I think his daughter. Yeah, it was because. Yeah. Someone went to Kim Nagai. I don't know, maybe it was someone else, some another prime minister. But I just thought it was Probably. interesting that, yeah. that um, what do you call it, that it was that school um, with that kind of, you know, do you know what I mean, type of pupil going there um, and that sort of thing. It was just like, okay, cool. Well, we know what's up <laughs> here. And as you said, yes, the institutional racism strikes again. Um, you know. There's no institutional racism. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's a whole report about it. You can just read There's it, Auntie Shade. Report. Remember, potentially, there was in the 1960s. Potentially. Okay. In the yeah. 1960s. Okay. Yeah. No. It's not just a few racist people. That's all. Auntie, Auntie AK part two, part three. You, we can't read that long message, but I was going to say, go to the comments. <laughs> Auntie AK, part two, big sis. You can't write an essay. Okay. All right, I mean, so. you can, but we might not read it right now. <laughs> Antoinette says, when we have a PM with a hairstyle like that, no school should reprimand a child for the hair that grows naturally out of their head. And um, Antoinette goes on to say, I love the Zoom that the youth are coming with. It's inspirational and long may it continue. They are like the reggae song prophecy, the rebel youth, the future. I, I will come back to this because I need to read it and just like, but that is a long one to read. <laughs> like, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to that message. Um, well, you might have to pick out bits because we could move on unless anyone else has got anything else to say. So Auntie Nana, you've got to pick out from Sissy's comments. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm heading into it. It's, it's a good one. It will give people things to think about. This is a message from Aquia of Fosuhini, or Fire from the Sun. You can go onto her page and you'll be able to have more of her insights into racism. So she has written, anti-black and brown sentiments, actions, project is not growing any more than 150, 20 to 10 years ago. They they have what we have is a continuing roundabout of different bouts of racist actions imposed by the state and enacted by different institutions, schools, hospitals, courts and the others. Young people have always wanted peace and fairness. They fought against slavery during Crow laws and others. Young people grow up and enter the institutions which have a project of racism as Nana said, they protested in the 90s. Until we stop the source of racism, we will always have this roundabout. The source of racism is the wholesale theft that is international trade with Africa, the, the substance, uh, subsidies, I think, royalties that are handed to African countries is the start of the racist project. We almost need us in the West to take our racism on the chin and instead only talk about and aim to change international trade. Otherwise, in 20 years, our children will be on the internet wanting their children to make things better. Um, Victoria yeah. says, France is still not over the Algerian war or the exile from North Africa. So relationships with Arabs is tetchy. The tensions with minorities are not new, but the internet is making it more known outside France. Yeah, definitely. Europe in general has been very far right. It has. It's just like, as we're saying, the internet is breaking down those walls of um, close-up information. 
Europe's been racist. It's the UK that's pretending. <laughs> Definitely, like, France has had a real relationship with Arab countries in trying to kind of indoctrinate, like, the Arab world. They, yeah. they've, they've gone that way. So I guess this is this is all a, it's just a part of it. And isn't France still getting um, getting reparations? They're getting money from flipping everywhere. Can you like, imagine? Imagine from like yeah, from what they've done, they're still getting money. Come on, mate. Same. Anywho, okay, Auntie AK, what have you heard? Just to put that out there before we move on, they're not alone and getting money. No, of course they're not. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. They're not. They're not. Um, Auntie AK, what have you heard? Well, what I have heard has um, last week I dove straight in and got consumed by the George Floyd, um, no, let me correct myself, Derek Chauvin trial. Thank with you. A police officer who, in my opinion, murdered George Floyd. Um, he's finally been brought to trial and um, it started last week. And I, because generally with the George, those of you who don't know, obviously George Floyd was um, murdered last year uh, for passing a counterfeit note, which is questionable whether he actually even knew it was a, a, a counterfeit note, the, the £20 note does not justify dying. Um, and what made this thing blow up was the fact that for the one of the first times, even though we've seen versions of black people being murdered on camera at the hands of police, this was one of the most graphic visual displays of murder by at the hands of police that we've ever seen. And it's affected a whole global outpouring of emotion, change, at the moment, and we hope it's long lasting, all these type of things, it's just, it struck a chord, especially hitting the time of COVID and lockdown. Um, I've avoided watching the video of his death because I cannot. However, now I have seen, watched it from the perspective of the body cams and stuff because of the trial. So I immerse myself in the trial. Um, I'll go into, oh, I'm trying to make my intro shorter, but um, <laughs> I, wanted to, I just wanted to ask if you guys watched it. I wanted to ask what you guys would, what do you think will happen, or what what I want to happen, if he's not, if he's found not guilty? And for me, also, I feel like all four of the police officers who were in that space at that time need to go under the jail. They're all complicit, um, and maybe one of them might get a day shorter than the other, but they all need to go under the jail. Um, I just want to know your thoughts. Have you watched it? How are you feeling? And if if they're ever found not guilty, if Derek Chauvin is found not guilty, what do you think should happen or will happen? Auntie Nana. Um, okay, so I haven't, I watched part of it, I think maybe it was day two. Um, and that was after people were talking. I think maybe they had done their opening statements and then people were like, oh my God, they're trying to put forward this notion that um, he died from like, a heart condition or that type of thing. So I, I went to watch that and then I was like, nah, nah, I'm not. Like, this is, it's too triggering and I absolutely don't need to be triggered. And I feel, I already have real feelings about them mining black people for our emotions. So I was like, I, I'm trying to avoid that at all costs at this moment. So I, did, I didn't carry on watching it. But um. And I do always think about if they get off, which is a high, it's a high chance because it, the police generally don't go to prison. So there's a real chance that they may not go. And what type of, instead of being like, what opportunities does that open up to us 
as black people if they don't? And I think I'm more leaning to what does that do? So obviously there's going to be anarchy because they want anarchy, both sides. People that are are um, rallying against racism, to rally against it, you need racism. And people that uh, want this to stay, you need people to rally against. So that faction of warring parties will war at this if they get off. But I'm more interested in, okay, so what could that do for people that actually want to live on this earth and live in a different way? What would that open up? What kind of conversations and spaces could we be involving ourselves in because every downfall, there's an opportunity. So I'm really more looking more into that that way of thinking as to if they do, if they do get off and anarchy ensues, where could we kind of make something better from the anarchy? What could we be doing? And I don't have any firm answers on that other than change. With change, there's chaos, and it's not that I'm welcoming this point of that you know them getting off but at the same time if he if he does get off I don't think it's the worst thing in the world I think it's just points another glaring light on the world that we live in and how can we make it better Auntie Shade well um yeah I haven't been watching a trial I've I actually usually things like that pop up on my feed and it hasn't, and it's. I think it's been suppressed personally, um, and I think trying not to get people to watch it um, because they're scared of what what the reaction will be and how it's you know it's going to go down. If he isn't found guilty, that God help us all. That's I, honestly, I, I I really don't know what what will happen because there will be riots. There's there's no two ways about it. It was like. He was the catalyst of like a major movement for almost six months continuously. There's no way. There's like I got. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I I really don't know what they will be thinking if they let this man go. Honestly, they will create a monster. There's there's no two ways about it. It will be a monster. I just think of like if you think about Zinnerman you know, the guy that shot Trayvon Martin and he's, you know, doing rallies and signing Skittle packets. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is, you know, people didn't, people were speaking up, but they weren't really, you know, everybody wasn't engaged. We didn't have everyone's attention, but because of COVID, we had everyone's attention. If this man gets off, no, I I don't think it's going to go down well at all. So I think that they should side on the air of caution and put him away. Do you know what I mean? And make an example, and hopefully make an example. If he does go down, they put he probably won't go down for very long. Um, and probably be on, you know, uh, thingy watching all that kind of stuff. In terms of like possible solutions, as you were saying, Auntie Lena, I, I really don't know other than like, you know, really getting bus behind defunding the police system. That's the only thing I can think of that could potentially make a impact where people can be satisfied. I don't know if it necessarily will actually make change, but it will be something that people can latch onto and be like, okay, change is being made in this moment, right? But 
and I agree with you, Auntie AK, in terms of the other people should go down too, 100%. But honestly, they can't OJ this guy. They just can't, they can't do it. Like, people will be up in, up, like, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. And especially on, on Joe, um, Joe Biden's watch, it's not going to go down well. It's not going to go down well at all. But storm the capital, mate. <laughs> They'll blow everything up. There'll be nothing left. Nothing left. Auntie Farah. Yeah. So, uh, firstly, the charges that he's facing, or the what he's been, what he's gone to court, what he's, you know, uh, it's it's second degree murder, which is unintentional murder, which means the person was killed without prior prior intent. Um, and then he's got manslaughter charges, and then he's got third degree murder, which is um, killing someone with that intent by carrying out an act that's dangerous, right? So the defense came with the party line of not only that George Floyd was suffering from heart conditions and that he'd taken drugs and all this shit, they also said that the reason why the police officers, or rather Derek Sherman, was on his neck for nine minutes was because he was scared about the crowd. That's what they came out and said. They said that the crowd was intimidating him and he was scared and he was, you know, thought they were going to react and that they were going to turn to violence, which took his mind off the fact that, oh, there's my knee. It's in someone's neck. They're crying for their mum. You know, it, it, that's what the defence came out and said. The defence um, questioned one of the witnesses, one of the bystanders, who actually made the call to the ambulance, sorry, to the police, and was basically called the police on the police and made a, a, an official complaint. They said that they tried to get him to go down the path of the angry black man. They were saying to him, um, is it right to say that you were angry? Did you call him, did you call him, it wasn't a dickhead, but it was like whatever the American version is of a dickhead, like they were saying that he called him. And he was like, yes, I was angry, but I wasn't actually, I, I, I went from anger to concern, and then I just kept asking them, are they going to do anything? And you see it in the video. And they just kept trying to prod him, prod him, prod him, prod him. And he just was having none of it. Even the fire, the work, the woman that works for the, um, she's a fire person, and they, she says, I was instructing them about things that they could do. Have they tried this? Have they tried that? They tried to get her and tried to antagonize her to a point where she was even like kind of beefing with the judge a little bit. Um, but I just don't understand how anybody, regardless of what they're trying, what the defense is trying to say, can watch that video or all the multiple videos that have subsequently come out and say that these people didn't know what they were doing and all of them need to be done. All of them, because whilst the focus is on Derek Chauvin, Chauvin or whatever his friggin' name is, and the fact that he had his knee to George's neck, all the other three police officers were also pinning him down. All of them. They, they all were physically on this man whilst he struggled for breath and didn't resist. Not once did this man resist arrest. They, the um, ambulance, they even tried to get the ambulance worker when they said, oh, um, yeah, you wanted an officer in there to perform compressions with you, but how can you expect them to perform compressions when they're not an ambulance worker? And he was like, any lay person, any lay person can do it. And they tried to make up because they wasn't a professionally trained paramedic, 
they're not able to do it. If you're a police officer, you're at least first aid trained. You do certain thing, you know, you know CPR if you're a police officer. That's standard. So it's just like the defense's defense is is weak, it's transparent, it's upsetting that they're even trying to go down this road. It's upsetting that he's even coming out and trying to deny what he did. Just own your fucking shit. You did it. We all saw you do it. The world saw you do it. Come out and say, I did it. Sentence me. Because that's what should be happening. There shouldn't even be this waste of time. And if he gets off, which, by the way, I won't even be surprised if he gets off, They people will take to the street. People will take to the street. But I have a feeling that, as Auntie Shade said, this is Joe Biden's time. So I have a feeling that somebody somewhere knows that this won't sit well. And somebody somewhere needs to have a little word with somebody somewhere and sort this out. Because if this man gets off, believe you me, there will be rioting across the globe because the outpour of of empathy for George when he died and what we saw was global. If there is no justice, what does that fucking mean? What does that mean? It's just awful. Yeah, I just I I just feel like and afterwards, if this man gets off, he's going to need to go into witness protection. Because someone somewhere is going to murk him. Somebody somewhere is going to fix his business. So, yeah. Yeah, everything to you, what you guys are saying. I wanted, I mean, uh, watching it has been a, a very, in, it's the first time I've watched the trial this this, this intently um, and got immersed in it. And what I, what I was, even just down to how the lawyers have to word word things. And, you know, you obviously you watch all, you, we've grown up watching all the legal dramas and you think you know, and it's pretty pretty accurate in some cases, but there's just the way that they have to really be careful with how they ask questions and how people respond. And that um, the firefighter, the off-duty firefighter who came up on the scene, Genevieve Hansen, got in a back and forth because she's like, it's really what I was finding hard in my front room watching was not responding emotionally because you've got to give the bare black and white answers. And um, uh, Derek Chauvin's lawyer is Eric Nelson. He's the defense lawyer. And he has a way of trying to twist the words and really say, yeah, but this crowd that he's hyping is about nine people. This crowd that he's talking about, a violent, angry crowd that he's really trying to labor on. And what is funny is what's not, it's not funny. His defense is weak, um, but it's like he keeps saying this crowd and you're distracted. When you see the footage, now this jury have been subjected to watching this video about 10, 15, 20 times so far. And that's the part of like, I, I, Please don't call me for Corey jury. Don't call me for jury duty on a criminal murder charge. I beg you. I don't want to see no videos, no nothing. I can't. So they've had to watch this in different angles, slowed down, sped up, paused, discussed. Because there's bits when I was watching it, I had to put it on pause. I had to put my screen so I couldn't see it because I'd, I'd um, shared it to my big TV. I don't want to see George die and I don't want to see it. But I do. I have listened. I've heard him. And I've seen, like I said, I've seen the video cameras. Derek Chauvin, there comes a point when everyone is saying to him, he's not breathing. And you know, and I think we've all been in these situations as black people, we have all been in the situation when a person in authority, usually police or a bouncer, sees that shit's gone left, but because they're so staunch fast in their ignorance and arrogance that they're not gonna let go of their power. They refuse to hear what anyone else is saying and are carrying on because George, I mean, Derek could have actually stopped. He could have been like, you know what? Let's check. Um, Sergeant Tao, 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 I think his name is, that's the Asian guy that was holding back the rebel crowd. 
he was an arrogant bastard. He needs to go down because he could have said, you know what, Derek, let's check his pulse. Let's stop. He didn't do that. Then you got, um, what's it call it? Jay Alexander Kung and Thomas Lane. Now that was, one of them was holding his hand in the middle and one of them was at his feet. When he went quiet, one of them in the middle checked his pulse. And you know, from the, from the body camera, you know that he was like, fuck. You can tell he was like, fuck because he went back and checked again. He checked about three times and never said nothing, never said nothing to Derek. You know what, bruv, get up. And it's because in that moment, the only thing that they, because they knew that they'd fucked up. That's the only reason why none of this was stopped because they wanted to keep up the pretense that he just passed out. Cause someone's like, oh, he's, one of them said, oh, he's passed out. No, he hadn't fucking passed out. You not knew, cause when he checked his pulse three times, the man was not breathing, there was no pulse. And being on drugs as well. Let's not forget and, that they were trying to make high. And Tao, one of them said, well, this is what we say, kids, don't be on drugs. If you're so stressed and scared about a crowd, why are you having banter quips with a crowd that's rowdy? Because if you were scared, you wouldn't be having banter quips. You'd be trying to call, you'd be calling for backup. None of you called for backup. But watching the, the trial, um, I don't know, it, it's heartbreaking for all the comments. Donald, Donald, um, Donald Williams is the guy that you're talking about, was the MMA guy who was quite vocal, but he wasn't aggressive. Even he wasn't aggressive. He was like, can you please just check Even the when he was pushed by Tao. That's what I'm saying. Aggressive. Even when Tao held him back, he did not retaliate. He wasn't violent. You had um, the guy, the, the young poor boy who was on the till. Um, I'm looking for his name. So I want to get everyone's name right. The guy that was on the till, can't remember his name, sorry. He was even saying, I feel bad if only I just take, because basically if you use, if you get, if it's on your watch that someone passed a counterfeit bill, it comes out of your wages. And he was saying, I wish I just never just took it out of my wages and just left it at that because he'd be alive today. There's that. The guy that broke down in like hysterical. Who came along and just was saying to George, just, you can't win, just chill. George was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm trying, if, I, if they let me up, the thing is what he was saying, he was scared to get in the car because he's claustrophobic and he wasn't violent. All this thing that they're painting, he wasn't violent. He wasn't, he resisted, he, I don't even want to say he resisted the arrest. He was scared about getting in the car. He said he'd recently been shot. So he was scared. So they could have handled it in so many different ways. You could have let him, because they sat him on the ground first and foremost. You could have let him chill out. You could have spoken to him calmly. You could have deactivated the situation but you guys escalated it he didn't want to get in the car then he got him on the floor okay get him up then get him up there I, I, I know, anyway um oh, if you think that somebody's having an episode for, like a drug overdose or an episode from take them them. the last thing you do is pin them down that is the last thing you do and obstruct their airways that is the last thing that you do and, and anybody, my seven-year-old daughter knows that come on now and there, um, his former supervisor, Sergeant David Ploger, he was the one who said that he has, he says that um, Derek used, un, um, um, uh, what's the word? He used too much force, basically. Unauthorised force. Like, that it's, it's, not, it's not what they would be taught to do. Right, yeah. And Derek, Eric, Eric, the lawyer, defence lawyer, tried his best to come for the um, supervisor as well. But all this to say that this case is, it's interesting to see that if he gets off, if he gets off, I don't know what, I think there's puppetry at play. And if he doesn't get off, I think there's puppetry at play. Because I, I'm, I'm just really suspicious of this outcome. I'm really suspicious of this whole court case. Because what's also happening is for the first time, that they're, and I've been seeing reports and analysis, they're saying that the, the, the blue line of silence, the blue code of silence, it's not happening this time. For the first time, you've got his colleagues who are speaking out against his behavior. And that never happens. Normally, there's the blue wall of silence, 
No one's, it's like, you know, we're the boys in blue. We're not going to speak against us, but people are speaking against him. So I feel like this is a political move. So I don't even trust the outcome. I don't I even think it's political as long as he goes to jail. I want him to go to jail, but it's just what else happens. I, I want him to go to jail. And, and, and really, okay, so he goes to jail on third degree. On third no, degree. I really think it would be the least of charges and it would probably be like three or four years, probably. Mm. So even if he goes to jail and the others get off, I think that they know he's not going to be punished to the full extent of the law that would stop rioting. And that to me is absolutely like, it's, it's orchestrated. It's not that they're going to put him in prison to stop rioting. Like they orchestrate things and put it out on our feeds and show us lots so that it happens. The reason I I have seen quite a few things about the case it the case come up, but there is the algorithm as well. So depending on wh where you're looking, you may not be seeing stuff. But I, I really think that they're stoking it. So whatever takes place this summer, there probably is going to be some type of shizzle that happens. There probably is going to be some type of protest, looting, something's going to take place. If he gets off, it will just be heightened. But isn't all of this a bit of data mining? They love it when shit goes on and we're all on our phones chatting. Yeah. This would be the biggest foray of recent times if he gets off. And I really think that I, I'm leaning more to the, we can call it a conspiracy theory, that if if um, maybe one of them is going to go down, but not all of them are going to go down. And there's definitely going to be a whole heap of rioting and protests. And it isn't going to have anything to do with racism. And it's going to be all about just getting a lot of human reaction to feed into the algorithms. And maybe drop more laws that keep us more oppressed. And because like the protest laws all and stuff that. And also, just to say, he has the right not to testify. I thought, because I was wondering yeah. if he's going to be put on the dock and he has the right not to testify. So right. he's watching, he's watching the whole, sorry, I was, he's watching the whole court case and then he can make a decision based on how he think it's going, which I think is too much power. And just on a frustrating tip, he's sitting in the court writing notes, but I don't even know what he's doing. And because he can wear the mask, you can't see his re reaction. And it's, it's just very frustrating seeing him in this space. It's really, it's, and just as an aside, how is George Zimmerman still alive? How you have people that are just walking down the street and they don't make it because there was a stray bullet that hit them. But George Zimmerman seems to just be like Teflon Don, just can do signings, go to venues, like, and he's still alive. How? How? The parents. Do you remember that? that? He's trying to sue the parents. Yeah, like, I mean, he's yeah. a bag of fuckery, and I'm like, how is this guy still alive? Like, it's like, how does that make sense? I don't understand it either. It's very strange why he's still about walking up and down. It's weird. And let's get the comments. Okay, not too many this time. Thank you, guys. Okay, so we have um, Zell Sugar says. It's sad that we are even contemplating Chauvin getting off because we know it's a real possibility. Just another good old American lynching. Surprised they didn't release postcards. They That murder, humiliation, degradation for all of us. And if he gets off, never mind the US, Bristol will take up arms in the UK. They are not playing nowadays. Antoinette says, remember what happened after the Rodney King assault? A not guilty verdict 
resulted in days of violence in LA, so let them take heed. Candy says the US press have been surprisingly transparent with their reporting of the trial. The, Priti- the British press, however, are still using sensationalist respectability politics with their headlines. Antoinette says if he was white, they would have sat him on the curb and probably bought him a burger, but he's black. So a queer says a couple of things could happen. Derek Chauvin is going to be um, offed in jail. Two, he's convicted, but on appeal is given a shorter sentence and let out. Three, he's let off. What we need to know is when the when is the trial likely to finish? There was a lot of occult esoteric symbolism um, at, at George Floyd's murder. So depending on the end of the trial date, America has been doing violence on black bodies just before the 4th of July for decades, maybe even centuries. That's quite interesting. I wonder if it is around the 4th of July. Um, Ronald says, hey, Ronald, um, what we've seen so far is uh, is the prosecution's case with Chauvin's attorney questioning the prosecution's witnesses. Next week, they're going to full force with their witnesses. Remember, it only takes one juror to make it a mistrial. Uh, Mistrial counts as a victory for the defence. Yeah. Nicholas says, speechless. And Candy said, it's not strange Zimmerman is being protected by his friends in the police. I was going to say that, um, oh shit, I bloody forgot. Yeah, this week, the, the, what they're saying with the, def- with the prosecution, no, with the defence team, that they're going to lean heavily on the science and the experts about his body, DNA and the drugs and the heart disease and all that type of stuff. That's all they've got to go on. And, it, and Ronald's right in saying the hung... That he said that Eric, they're saying that Eric's probably going to push for a mistrial. The thing is, though, even if even if someone has an underlying condition, right? Let's if like say like someone's got asthma yeah. and I cut their mouth, you can't tell me that they died from asthma. Yeah. Even if they've got an underlying condition, he has still caused it. So yeah. I don't know how that is a defence. I just don't understand how that is even a, a defence. Because he, even if he died the minute after without anything happening to him, the fact that his death was exacerbated because Chauvin had his knee on his neck and those three policemen had him on the ground and they wasn't in the recovery position as they've been taught. It was in the prone position that compressed his chest and his head and his neck. And that is it. That's why he died. Auntie Farah, what have you heard? Okay, so my news story, if I can find it. Da, 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 da. Sorry, I was so in Derek Chauvin madness. So my news story is about uh, with the government spending billions, millions and billions on furlough, um, $35.4 billion, that was the figure back in October. So God knows how much it is now. Um, there have been a lot of reports about aristocrats who have been making claims on the furlough scheme to help <laughs> manage their castles and such. Um, so one such bunch of aristocrats, they had one employee and they claimed at first it was 10,000 and then it went up to a hundred thousand pounds for their one employee. Now, my my um, question to you guys is, do you think that despite the fact that they're saying they needed it to maintain 
to, to stop their person from being made redundant, <laughs> do you think that they should be investigated because they actually had were financially capable of managing without taking money from the furlough scheme? Auntie AK, yes. Going on. Auntie Shot, Auntie Nana, what do you say? <laughs> no, I think um nobody should be being investigated for furlough schemes, um, any of the loan systems. Like the government just needs to take this one on the chin. You gave out money. Some people applied. Some people got some money. You don't need to look into anything. Just write it off. Um, You're probably going to tax us to the hills for the next 200 years anyway. But if you start looking into aristocrats, they're going to be the last on the rung to be being looked into. They're going to start with normal, decent, hardworking, working folk that apply for things. So, no, if you're not going to do anything to people that were sending out flipping carrots in bags and half-eaten sandwiches, don't don't go for businesses that needed a little loan to get them through. Auntie AK wants to change her statement to, no, I agree with Auntie Nana. Auntie Shade. Yeah, what, what, what she said, man. Don't, don't look into, just take the L. Take the L, take the L, take the L. Be happy to take the L. Be happy. Smile, smile with it while you're taking it. Like, yeah, let's just leave that alone. Let's just leave that hell alone. Because, you know, people need to get through, you know? That's all I say on that. Yeah. I actually couldn't agree more. And this is the one time that I feel like you aristocrats are right. Cool, whatever you did, you did, didn't it? Because at the end of the day, like Auntie Nana said, if they start investigating things, they're not going to start at, with, with the hierarchy. They're going to start at the little man below. And we all know what happens when Auntie Doris wants to make a little money on the side and she goes and gets a cleaning cash in hand job while she's claiming housing benefit. They come down on her like a ton of bricks and Auntie exactly. Doris ends up in jail while Mr. Mr. Dorkin from Harrow Police Station or whatever he is, the MP, goes and claims expenses and it's all totally fine. You know, so I just feel like, you lot fucked up. You should have checked the system properly before you did anything rather than giving out all this money. And they're even now saying that it's very hard for them to investigate. What they're actually doing is calling for people to um, whistleblow. If you oh. know someone's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of articles out there where they're saying, if you know that someone's um, fraudulently claimed furlough, please contact this number so that we can investigate it. Because they I know that... they absolutely hate dubbers. <laughs> I think... I think do you know what? Snitching. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Foul. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but then there's also a lot of um, uh, lot of helplines out there for people who employers that are scared that they may have done this in the wrong way and that they'll get penalised because of it. So I think the government, like you said, Auntie Shade, just take the L, man. We're going to be paying up the ass for this until end of time anyway. So it see, is what it is. <laughs> see, I went full on. I got you know. I went full on just having some rich people. Those type of people. And I had my stereotypes in my head getting disturbed. That's where I went with that. Um, but also they know that if we if they put a story about the rich folks taking the poor people's money, they know that we'll react and they know that then we'll say, okay, we have to investigate. And then it will be the trickle on effect and affect the little people. And we're like, ah, we got you. So we're going to investigate you. But my initial thing was like, a few aristocrats getting disturbed for taking the poor people's money. Yeah, you're damn right. Investigate them, yes. But yeah, with the caveat, leave the poor people alone. Um, 70k for her brows, yeah. Yeah. Exactly what I was gonna say. Where where was that money 
And weren't it even like out there that this business had closed down years ago? Exactly. Was that they weren't doing eyebrows? They were doing something else for her. Yeah, absolutely. Seventy-seven thousand, like, pretty. You can come and buy jumpers from me. I'll give you jumpers. We can swap it over for a hundred grand. Like, let's start doing deals. I will work with Preeti Patel if she's able to field money like that to some small business somewhere. It's cool. The next thing, because they said that she spent X amount in Primark, and she was saying that it was for her constituents or something like that. Like that's why she spent all this money. Well, she buys people clothes. But yeah, it was, it was it was to help. Was Primark open at the time? But and, they don't, and they don't do online. But they don't but do online. My point is, there are all these people, all these, all these businesses that are suffering because you know people can't go out and shop. Why don't she contact them? No, she's going to Primark. Like Primark need the money. Primark don't even need the money because they refuse to do it online. That's how. <laughs> that's how cool Primark how are. They are. You know what I mean? <laughs> For a whole year, they haven't done like you. You had a whole over a year to get it all sorted out that you could do online, and then you were like, "We're cool. We don't even need that." That could be first open at seven a.m. Shopify online thing. But they don't. They don't want it. They're like, "We're cool." So Primark have no. She's a shock. My bother. That's how you know. They're they're right, man. Get me. It'll be the first open at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. when never doors open. Remember when, it, like, when they let us out for about a month? I'm up for hours. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I wanted to go. I never went. I just wanted to go into a shop at four, like just hang about in. If I was a teenager, oh, I so would have gone primer. <laughs> like loitered like it was Trocadero and tried to get numbers and all of that shit. I <laughs> blatantly would have been hanging out in primer. Let's get the to buy you the liquors. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, um, Nicholas says, oh, no, no, no. Let me start with Antoinette. Um, she says, Auntie Farah, they should have policed the scheme properly and take the burn. Uh, they should have policed the scheme better. It's too late now. Take the burn. If the aristocrat had done that, oh, well, <laughs> don't investigate anybody, especially if they are not starting from the top which they won't. And Nicholas says there is no such thing as institutional financial corruption. And she also says, send Tony Saul to investigate it. <laughs> and Antoinette says, we probably paid for Pretty's bikini wax and it was inconveniently covered by saying it was for eyebrows. 77K, really. I mean, is she Bigfoot? How hairy is she? Hmm, who knows? I mean, wow. I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and not, not so pretty for tail. <laughs> Let's just move on. And to um, Auntie's No Best, Auntie's No Best, Auntie's No Best, Auntie's No Best. Okay, hold on, wait, wait, hold on, wait, 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 hold on a minute. Okay, Auntie and Auntie Farah, I feel your lack of involvement in that. Auntie Nana got in the spirit of my Auntie's No Best. Mm-mm. He's no best. Mm-mm. The way you were going with that one, like that matter, one. We're black people. We freestyle. Yeah. We improvise. No, I'm just trying to. Like they like to say we're not a monolith. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't. But we are community. You something don't mean that everyone has to. You know what I'm saying? Collective community spirit. <laughs> we're black. We're not different boxes in this movement. Anyway, different boxes. Yeah. 
Auntie knows best. I have one. Okay. I want to give my ad caveat, but go ahead. Go on. Go on, Auntie. Add your caveat. By the way, Auntie's no best, yeah, but don't take everything we say and don't try to sue us because we're just giving you advice that's very, very good, but it's advice. Thank you. Auntie Nana, take it away. Okay. Hey, aunties. I really enjoyed listening to the podcast. You guys really remind me of some of my family members and it's jokes. I'm in need of some auntie wisdom. I have been with my boyfriend for six years. He is my first everything. I'm 25 and I feel as though there isn't that wow factor anymore. We don't do anything. I know it's a pandemic, but for Valentine's, he got me flowers. I hate flowers. And my 25, my 25th birthday, he messaged me at 11.50 p.m. There's just no consideration. This is the man I was going to man marry. But right now, I'm so bored and unhappy. I don't know how to break it up with him. Should I stay with him and see what happens? I don't even know how to break up with him, to be honest. Boy, Auntie Farah. You're 25. Bum that, man. You're 25. Like, no, nah, man. Like, you've been with him since you were 19 years old. And if you feel like it's dead now and you're not really feeling him and he's not being considerate, how can he call you at 11.50 on your birthday? I don't understand. Like, what were you doing, bruv? It's a pandemic. You've got no excuses. 11.50, unless you were in a hospital, even then, there's Wi-Fi calling. Like, no, I, I'm just like, no, you're 25 years old. Go out and see the world once Boris lets the gates open. That's what I say. You don't need him. He's clearly not interested in you in the way that you deserve to be for someone to be interested in you. No, you don't need to stay with him. That's that. <laughs> Sade. Yeah, man, leave that. Leave that, hundred <laughs> percent. There's no two ways about it. You want to call me on my birthday at ten minutes to midnight when my day's nearly over? You're mad. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. I think um, you know. There's many things you can do. It depends. Obviously, this is just advice. But you know, if you wanted to take the piss, you could wait for him to propose to you, get the ring, and then leave him. You could cheat. You could, there's many things that you could do. Joking, joking, joking. But no, what I would say, the easiest way to get out of a relationship, if it's really, really difficult on a serious note, is just say that you need a break. Just say that you need some time, you need a break, so they don't feel bad about it. And then just, no, I'm joking, but <laughs> talking through whatever. But then at least you'll be able to kind of clear up your mind and just uh, see if it's really what you want to do. But just take a break. Really intriguing. Yeah, man. Um, you're 25, six years, it's dry. He's probably feeling dry as well because how's he messaging messaging at 10 to 12, 10 to midnight? The day's done. And even the pandemic, you lot should be you lot should be equally yoked. You should be bubbled by now. So it's not even a thing like, oh, pandemic, I can't see you. You lot should have been been seeing each other. So he should have been at yours already with balloons and stuff. There's so many business, online businesses that are thriving during the pandemic. You can set up a whole, he could have set up a whole birthday room. You could have opened up the door and there's balloons and hearts and cakes and everything. People can do it for you. It's already done. So he definitely has run his, the end of his course or this relationship too. Um, no wow factor. You're young. There's more out there. Hurry up. 
because there's less, but there's more at that age. Um, so yeah, get <laughs> get out of it now. I mean, right. if you love him, love him, love him, love him, love him, love him, and he's just feeling a bit dry. Always communication, have a conversation. I, I don't see how you can he can get away with that because it'd be a cussing for me. Like what? Well, all now, I don't even think I would have went. Maybe I might have been doing the test thing ten to midnight. Yeah, ten to midnight. Oh, you want to text me at that? So then that phone call would have come anyway, and we would have beef. We would have beefed it out anyway. So I don't even understand. So if you if there's a lack of communication, that needs to happen. Have that conversation. But it sounds like you're both feeling dry because there's no way he's into you and he's messaging at ten to midnight. He, he's done too. I think you both need to make it easy on each other and say, I've got something to say. They both say at the same time. What do you want to say? You go first. You go first. No, you go first. Let's break up. And that's it. Done. Have a movie out of it. Auntie Nana. Honestly, I think the relationship is finished. And that I'm just sending you flowers. And I'm calling you 10 minutes before the end of your birthday on your 25th. 25 is a big like you know usually have a party 25th is a big one and he everybody knows that he's not been flipping brought up in outer Mongolia because you were together since you were 19 he also is not interested and if I was you I would try and get in there first because I'd be counting down the days you're feeling like this and he's probably going to call you tomorrow and dump you do it first like literally get in there as soon as possible. And yeah, you can go with, I need a break if you really want to. Or you can just be like, be like um Leanne, just tell him like, this ain't banging. Like just, we, it's not, it's not a great relationship at this moment. And I'm young. There's, there's better out there. There's probably somebody that is going to be better for you out there as well. Like you can do all of that. We'll do it by text message. I feel like if she bought him, he wouldn't even notice for a few days anyway. I tell you, if she'd stop, if she even, yeah, oh, for real, if she blocked him, I bet you he wouldn't even come around. Because he's sure over his girl. You don't sound like her man. I think he's somebody else's man. I think he's he, someone else's man, you know. He got her flowers and she didn't like flowers. He called her at 10 to, at 10 yeah. to, at what, was your chick sleeping? Yeah, you know what, you just remember. Like, you just remember. Wait, 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 go on. He just remembered her birthday. Like it, yeah. it came up on Facebook and he was like, oh shit. And then sent a message and tried to be like, I tried to be the last person, babe. Like, you know, I wanted everybody. I tried to be that. He didn't. Like, you forgot because it's probably banging somebody else. She like, might be the side, you know. She might not know that she's the side. And yeah. maybe she's discovering that she's the side. Yeah. Do you know? And also just to come to your point, Auntie Anna, I'm sure in outer Mongolia, you probably get goats on your 25th birthday. I'm sure there's some acknowledgement. So even they will recognize. So even that, I don't, people in from outer Mongolia in relationships, if man didn't give you a goat on your birthday. Anyway. But she didn't actually say that he got her anything. She said he called. He, she no, he, messaged, he messaged, he didn't even call her. Message. He, he may not even have got her a present. Like it's dead, it's done. Like really, just block him. I don't think you need to say anything. Go yeah, go. I block that. I block that bad boy. Honestly, that's what I'm ghost now. Go go. Let's get the comments. <laughs> and so Ronald says the boyfriend is trying to let her know that he's done with the relationship. Tell her to download and listen to the old Nancy Wilson song. Face it, girl, it's over. 
Uh, Antoinette says she needs to tell him we need a break and be on her own for a while. He is not the one. 11.50pm on your milestone 25th birthday. Nah, have a break and then bounce. Nicholas says he is probably doing it so that you could force the so that you could force the breakup. Some people do that. And Candy says, don't say I need a break. Say I need better, much better than these crumbs you give me. I like that. I like that. I like like that a lot. And Mm. that's that. Um, I have a dilemma. Dear aunties, absolutely love the podcast. Thank you, darling. It gets you through the weekly shop. Being in this pandemic has has really made me think about my love life. I'm pushing 50. I want to find Mr. Right, but not sure how to go about it, especially as we are in a new normal. I'm not sure how to navigate dating apps. Which ones are even good? Please help Stella get her groove back. Well, uh, I mean, um, I mean, I've, I've been telling you girls. Wait, 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 pause. Pause. <laughs> pause to make you angry. Pause on the American pause. Go on, Auntie Nana. What's your advice? I I have been trying to get you free single teenies to actually set out a roadmap for everybody else and get into the dating game. And this lovely lady is asking for advice. And I, I have been urging you guys to actually like live it so that you could impart some wisdom on the folks. But none of you want to just jump on an app and 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 go for it. I don't have any advice. I don't even know what the world is like out there. I've been so far removed. When I started dating, I don't even think the internet was on. So you guys have to give the advice. <laughs> I, I, first of all, all the, all the FUs in the world. And, yeah. um, this is, by the way, what, dear Stella, I'm going to call you Stella, and what Auntie Nana wants from all of us is for us to put on a pappy show, as they call it. <laughs> her titillation she wants to see us go through the highs and lows of the minefield that is dating apps and dating life right now however i will give some advice i will say don't let the new normal fool you i don't know whether you go out a lot i don't know what your girlfriend situation is like your home girls whether you're kind of you're outgoing you guys go out you um you know and i don't know whether you're shy or insecure or all those type of things what your dating past has been what what you've been through to make it you feel like you can't find a man. I'm not going to lie and say it's easy. It isn't. Um, and I have tried dating apps. Don't feel comfortable. But there are also success stories with people using dating apps. So do try them. I just think you've got to be going there with prepared and um, with knowledge that there are a lot of fuck boys and fuck men on those apps who just want to get in your knickers. And if you want to get your rocks off, all good. But just be, be safe as well. Don't be going meeting anybody randomly. But also be prepared for a lot of that, but there are some somewhere in amongst the swipes, someone is out there, I guess. And there's other, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm struggling. Um, Auntie Shade. Okay, interesting. Um, uh, it's overrated, don't bother. <laughs> That's my alternative advice. I think you should live life and be good. That's what I think. Auntie Farah. <laughs> uh, um, I, 
have not a piece of advice, not one singular piece of advice, because if I give you any advice, I'm lying to myself because man's single out here. So who knows? Like, I feel like I wrote that letter. <laughs> Mate. <sighs> like, no, I mean, oh. the thing is, I do know people who are in successful relationships following going on these apps. I do know people who are married with children and it's worked for them, but it doesn't work for everybody. Like, I'm not comfortable putting my I'm not I'm not comfortable. And I'm also not comfortable with the person that it makes me when I'm on these apps because it becomes like a, a the game of no's. Because I'm like this, no, 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 no. And you become super critical of the people that you're seeing. So it's not for everybody. I just feel like, uh, I, I, as I said, I don't really, unfortunately, Miss Stella, I don't have much advice for you other than to try what you're comfortable with. That's all I've got to say. That's my main advice try what you're comfortable with. Maybe chat to your friends and see if they got any friends and then you can all be friends. I don't know. Try that. That friend thing. I mean, also, it, when the new normal lifts, when we get out there, maybe if there's anything that you do that you feel like, you know, you're very shy, you're not outgoing, maybe look at things that you could possibly do. But I feel like in any situation, the person that you want, that you need to be with has to accept you and they will see you for whoever you are in that moment, when the line, stars align, they will see you. But I mean, if there is anything that you live, that you're quite in, I don't know, anything that you feel that you do that holds you back from meeting people, have a look at that for yourself, not in the hope of attracting someone. Cause like I said, that person will see through all of that and just see you for you. Um, but I, I, have, my... I have advice, I have advice. Go on, Auntie Nana. <laughs> I think. I'm not too married. If you have like real apprehension for the the apps, and I I I have watched a friend go through the swiping thing, and it is a bit of a no, no, no. It's true. Maybe there's two points of call. Like you could actually go through one of those um, matching services where it really is somebody who has a rolodex of of people, and they match you. Like actually, like go into a matchmaker. Some people have really good success with them. That's a that's another way because then you're not swiping and it feels like there's an intermediary and the, and they know you and they know the other person and it, it's a bit safer as well. Or you could really, um, I would be like the lamest friend to have, but there's probably like a group of friends that do have access to single guys and they could be a bit of a matchmaker and actually like create situations where you're meeting other single men in a nice friendly kind of dinner party setting that type of thing like that could happen if I had single friends that were men and were women I would try and do like dinner parties and get them together but you, um, do, but you, do. But you do have single friends I have, that I have single female friends and a couple of guys who I wouldn't impart on anyone <laughs> and that, the problem is that and that sweet, sugary, sweet auntie I mean, problem. is the issue. Yeah, it's a problem. But, there, but obviously, there has to be the, the equivalent out there. There has to be Maybe a, a good guy. What are you saying, Auntie Sade? You've got to lower your standards. To the if baseline. No, I don't believe that. No, Auntie Sade is The reality is, yeah. Okay, let me say it this way. If you want something quickly, you have to lower your standards. Close your eyes. 
hope for the best. <laughs> I don't believe it. There, there is Auntie Nana. You <laughs> said you've got more single women female friends. Go on, sorry, Auntie Shadow, go on. No, I'm just laughing because I think that Auntie Nana is uh, looking through rose-coloured glasses, mate. I think it's just... They are... The are two different things. They're two different things. You are typical. I've been in a relationship since I was two. <laughs> you yeah. really are. You have, like, no idea the fuckeries, to quote your T-shirts, <laughs> out there. You've got no idea. No idea. And the thing is... because you're she does know because she's got men in her <laughs> that can work to people. So you do know. Yeah, you do. True. There has to be good men out there. There has no, to be. There's definitely I'm not saying that they're not. But if you want something fast and quick, like in the moment, low, low, see yourself blow them right down. <laughs> to the baseline. You might have a good time for two days. It's really difficult for people who are married, who have married dinner parties. Like all the couples are married, and you're all talking about, oh my god, our single friends. If only we could hook them. And the words are, if only we could hook them up with. If only all of you. Like I know, I know your circle. I know your circle. There's a bunch of married couples. They're all sitting there saying, oh, if only. But I can't go for that one. Oh no, because that one. And then the other because that one. So no. So literally, I will come round. Like yeah. So there's about twenty of you married couples in this room. Not one of you lost brethren, cousin, uncle, whatever. Is available because they're not that. Yeah, no, nah, I wouldn't put you on that one. The whole of you not. There's a whole network that I can't penetrate because of, get out of here, man. Let's go to the comments. <laughs> it's, not, it's not true. It's not true. There is a network, and we do actively try and bring in other single men. I have never had a laugh. Honestly, we've had discussions like, do you think maybe it's the age group and maybe they're in prison? Or where do they but proper convos? Like where are they? No, imagine this is why this is why the white people having conversations they, about like why are the blacks so troubled? Why they, do they just pull themselves up? Why they're all in prison? They are at home with their women. They're all in prison. No, all in prison with their women. That's where and they are. And they're, they're not at home with their women, they're at their side chicks' house. That's and where they're they are. Their side chicks, they're out there in the clubs. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is a, a topic that needs to be discussed <laughs> with a set of men. Like, where are they? I'm sure we did that with our after dark with um, Marvin from Dope Black Dads as well. And there's a bunch of dope black dads, but not dope black men. No, I thought the outcome of that one was that um, that you should uh, change the mind of your of, of how relationships would be and be open to being in a free. <laughs> So hold on, can we just not to can we just go then back to the married the married network that Auntie Nana's in and let's ask them to experiment so we can watch through there what they what they went through when they opened up their relationship. Then we'll take talks from you, married people. Let's get the comments. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so Nicola says, Auntie Nana is on the DNA for a soulmate, for a soulmate journey. Um, Tafadzma says, this live subtitle business is pretty good in it. Thank you. 
correct? And um, Ronald says, if she wants her groove back, then she used to have then she used to have a groove. Maybe she should look into what used to work for her. Maybe. Candy says, when you match people, they blame you when it goes wrong. Uh, Nicholas says, don't black dads. We did have that discussion with Marvin. He offered alternative to group sharings. And Zell says, exactly. People need to free up the mandem content. <laughs> And let us decide if they are good enough or not. If I had contacts, I would so free it up. I really would. Please, can you make t-shirts? That should yeah. be your t-shirt. What, free I'm up married. them? <laughs> yeah, I'm married, but I think there's men out there or something like that. <laughs> single friends. I have plenty of single friends. I don't know why they're single. No, honestly, I would do that. If I got numbers and like handed them out, are any of you going to contact them? What if someone if someone moved to you and then get off? Get, no, if them. I have single friends, a guy stops me as I'm walking down the street and is like, "I'm looking for really nice single females," and I'm like, "Listen, I've got like twenty good single friends. I can pass on your details to them." <laughs> if I did that, would any of you contact him? Wait, Wait hold on. Based on your rose-coloured glasses, no. Because <laughs> how would it work? So we all call him. So we yeah. all call him. I would say, like, oh, he was six foot two, dark skin, he had dreads, all his teeth. He says he's got two kids. He lives by himself. He drives. Oh, really? No. It has to be, like, you know, like, Patrick McGuinness, no likey, no lighty. We'd have to do, like, we'd have to do, like, um, a Zoom call and then... Turn our lights off when we're not ready. And then see at the end. You know, like, what was that show? Yeah, what was it? Yeah. Take me out. Take me yeah. out. It'd have to be like, take me out. Because I'm not calling no one. That's no one's doing that. Just let me know. Like, can we move if on? he wants a wife, he might. And if we ask 20 women haggling over the one man for him to get out of it. We don't haggle. He says shit. We don't like it. We're out. We're not haggling. We're not there like, pick me, pick me. But subconsciously. Literally pick me. He's no, it isn't because you turn off your light. But watch it. It's at the end. What is what is turning on? What's what on? I'm not going to be in it. But what if both of your lights are on? Then what do you do? You have to sell yourself, right? Damn, I fuck that shit. We pick. We decide. Like Marvin said, we decide. We don't really decide. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not, just, I'm not playing this game. <laughs> you don't know no one, right? You don't know no one. You're not going to wear a T-shirt. I'm if someone you, I'm not going to take their number from you. It's just, no. We literally have to move on, but I'm definitely going to have for the culture. Should your married friends give single people advice? That's going to be for the culture next year. No. <laughs> no. That was a quick one. No. That was really harsh. For the culture, for the culture. <laughs> For the culture, um, moving on. For the culture, we just, it's just, it's um, not even a discussion and we have, we are running out of time, but it is just to kind of talk about our hip hop brother. For all of those of us of the generation, DMX has a, had massive impact on the culture, definitely for the culture. Um, and he suffered a heart attack, drug related. Um, they say that he's off his life support, so he's breathing on his own. So hopefully he's gonna pull through. I hope he pulls through because this is the cat with nine lives for sure. So I hope he can pull through 
the only thing I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just hope, I don't know, I just hope he pulls through. But I don't know, I just, I guess it's just a conversation about DMX quickly, um, celebrating him, honoring him, talking about him. I, 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 I really like, liked like all of the people coming out and kind of like sharing stories about him and like really, so it, though he's not gone, I, I appreciated the, the outpouring of prayers because I do think that prayers are really effective and just people being like, pray for him in, you know, in the 90s when I'd listened to his music, he inspired me to do this. It was just like a real galvanization to kind of give him flowers while he's still here and then extend prayers. And really, uh, I hope he absolutely pulls through to see how much of an impact he had on people's lives. Like it really reminded me of when Ty went into hospital and just so many people just sharing stories about him. And and uh, I hope in some way, I don't know, I wasn't close enough to him that when he kind of came through his first bout of waking up, that he was able to see a bit of the outpouring on Facebook. And I really hope for DMX that he's able to get those messages come through to him to be able to see like all around the world, people were praying for me, really rooting for me to get healthy and survive and, and be back out there. And yeah, I, I, I'm more like, I, I loved seeing what he, what he's impacted on the world, what his impact is, what his legacy is in real time. And hopefully he'll be able to read those, those messages as well. Auntie Shadow. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't lie, I was a little bit freaked out um, because I just thought, like, he's, he's not dead. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it was it was quite, a, I don't know, it's, it's, it's quite a lot. Um, but hopefully he, you know, hopefully he gets there uh, soon and stuff. I don't know, it's just, I, I, I don't know, I find these things a bit odd, to be honest. I'm not really good with, like, <sighs> dealing with things like this. So, yeah, I just think... Yeah, it's it's nice that everyone's uh, rallying and stuff and sending their love and support. I don't really know what else to say about that, really. Auntie Farah. I don't know, like, I feel like... No, no, go on, sorry, you cut out. I thought that's what you finished on. Go on, go on, go on, sorry. Okay. You literally I'm cut out when you finished. Yeah, uh, finish what you were saying. No, I was going to say, um, basically... I think like a lot of the conversations that I've seen are just around his, you know, people saying like, oh, where were all these people when, you know, he was dealing with like, you know, the drug abuse and all that kind of stuff and everything like that. Like people that he hasn't spoken to in like 10 years are gonna, are, are doing things on social media and they're not, do you know what I mean? Like they don't have a close relationship with him and stuff like that. So it's just interesting. Um, the fans, I understand, but obviously you always get people in the, you know, come out of the woodworks at these times and proclaim like, yeah, me and this person are good buddies and they're just actually not. And I have this weird thing about that, like, you know, if you're beefing with someone or if you don't like someone and they're, they're um, wounded or they, they die and stuff, what, what, like, is it right for them to be promoting you on social? I don't know. I think it's weird. I think it's a weird thing. Auntie, Auntie Farah. Um, <clears throat> so they said that he's off life support now, but they're still concerned. So 
there's some positives in that, I suppose, that if he, he's no longer on life support. It is sad. And the thing about addicts is, uh, is that um, unless they want to stop, it's very difficult being around someone who's addicted to, to something and to, you know, and he's had phases where he's been off of drugs. He's been back on drugs. He's relapsed. He, you know, I, I saw a clip recently where he was talking about the fact that when he was 14, someone gave him drugs and they laced the crack, they laced um, a spliff with crack. And that's kind of what set him off when he was 14. And it was someone who was much older than him who he looked up to. And, and that just set him on a path of, you know, addiction so it's 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 very sad what's happened to him i don't know if you can necessarily blame all of the people around him but certainly in those circumstances there are always people who want to keep you down to a certain level and will definitely free up you know make things readily available for you so i suppose hopefully god permitting he comes out of this the circle that he's in maybe becomes a little tighter and he looks at who he's around and goes from there i mean man's got 15 children so i hope that he pulls through just you know for his children's sake and i do think what like auntie nana said the fact that people are praying and all of the, and talking about him in such a positive light that energy hopefully he receives it in the way that it needs to be received in order to help his recovery it's giving me kind of like lamar odin vibes as to what's happened to him and yeah. hopefully he pulls through in a similar sort of scenario yeah, um, I feel like there's there, every so often there's a celebrity that everyone just rallies round in. When I say everyone in the, it seems appears to be in, in celebrity world and the fandom, people I think have had a special place in his heart, in their hearts for DMX. It's like they he's that guy that you want to pull through because he has had such an effect on people and just generally he just seems like that guy that you'd be cool with. Um, I feel like I know DMX is maybe not with a struggle, but that type of guy. You just kind of know him, um, even from being from the UK. So I feel like he's always had people seemingly in his corner, but definitely when he's making, you know, when someone's on drugs and they're making money and their genius, in quotes, is comes through them being in a certain space. It is, as Auntie Farah says, people keep them, keep those drugs and keep those vices and close to continue the genius. Happened to Whitney, happened to others. And they, there's that whole thing about musical like geniuses. Usually in, in the world, they've got some sort of um, coping mechanism, which is kind of dev dev devastating to their day-to-day -day life, um, which is very interesting. And we kind of harp onto these, if you're, you know, these geniuses that have all these vices and these things, but would they be geniuses without these vices? And so we need to keep them in that state or whatever. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I don't know what else to say because I, I think even when we were talking about talking about this, I felt like well, he's not passed yet, so it feels a bit weird because he hasn't gone. So having this kind of celebration of him, but I don't know. Um, my story for DMX was he was the, the first. I was deep in going to concerts, definitely a DMX fan. And after I had my daughter in two thousand, his concert he was the first time he was coming to the UK, and I was like, I am not missing this concert for nobody. And I remembered my mum. I'd moved back to my mum's. And obviously she was side-eyeing side me for being a 20-year-old single mother at the time. And I'm like, mum, look after the baby. I'm going to see DMX. Well, I don't even know if I said I'm going to see DMX, but that was my plan. And she was like, you are a mother. You are not going anywhere. Now you have responsibility. So she gave me the whole Ghanaian mother lecture. How dare you even be thinking about going out? Because to them, like, what the hell? You just had a baby. Focus on your life. Sort yourself out. And I'm like, 
nah, you don't understand, DMX, his first concert in the UK. Are you mad, fam? So I didn't say that either, obviously. But luckily, where I where my mum lived, across the road, um, my one of my best friend's sisters lived, and she was like, our sister. So I was like, all right, say nothing. Shout out, Shalon. Shout out, Auntie Shalon. I was like, say nothing, mum. I'm taking my baby because I'm grown. I'm going across the road to Shalon's and I'm going to the concert. So I did. I left my baby with my sister and went to the concert. It was phenomenal. I can't remember what, like, was it Kennish Town Forum? I can't remember which location it was. But all I do know is literally timing when the concert done. I was like, girls, I got to go because the breast milk started to come in. And I started to, <laughs> I didn't have my breast pads in. So I remember the milk coming out. I was like, baby woke up. She needs to eat. I got to go. So, but it was perfect. Come to Amber and say, what's your relic? Exactly. 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 Yeah, I went home and fed my baby after having a great time at DMX concert. So yeah, that's my DMX story. Auntie Nana. Um, yeah, no, I was just, um, I was thinking over what Auntie Sade said, and uh, I've definitely had personal experience of that and feeling the weirdness. But then um, I can't remember if I was speaking to my sister or my brother, at feeling very frustrated that there's like so much tension between people when they're alive and then when they're dead, it's like you have this outpouring of love that really would have been way more effective when they were alive, even if you get rejected, but it's something. And that was probably part of having that conversation and really just coming to a realisation of for that human that needed to share their love afterwards, it was for them. They needed to express what was really sitting in, what was in their heart really, outside of their ego having beef. And reading lots of people just sharing stories of DMX, I was actually like, that energy, we seem to give to people when they pass, but they've gone. So it's for ourselves, but he's still here. So really that energy of love should be expelled to people when they're here. And I Can think I that's more important. Can I ask though, but in DMX's case, like I, 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 I've been, this weekend's been ridiculously busy work-wise, so I haven't really immersed myself in that. I saw the line and didn't, I haven't read the comment, I haven't immersed myself in the comments. But do you not feel like DMX has had loads of love? And I don't, I think it's hard for us to even question who was in his life and who wasn't because social yeah. media makes it, we don't know the truth. Because I also dealing with a life addict and I, you know, it's difficult. So even the people who is in his life, and doesn't and even though he's loved on that kind of branding social scale he might be a difficult person in real life because yeah yeah in 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 conversations and think in sometimes how he speaks he is a typical guy in quotes of what we know about him he's, he's not like he's presented a personality that's any way different from if we were in a duff if he was okay we might be like yeah he's a dog he's a player he's all this he's yeah, that type yeah. of thing is yeah. so it's not like he's a reputable character from what we know. Yeah. So we don't know how what he's like in a day-to-day life, right? So um, I, I, yeah. it's not really that respect that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking as an artist, and most artists are you're putting out your art into the world, and however you do it as a singer or a rapper, it's still a part of you that you're putting out there. And when you're hot, you're getting all of that all the time. But when you're not, that's quite a hard come down. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. And sometimes that can actually fuel the later addictions of a of an artist when they're still in that because it, it there's a, a level of I was hot for a moment and then it ended but really you still had an impact on people's lives they're just not always talking about it 
But for DMX, I feel like he's he he he's his come off was when he was high again because he was on the, at the peak. So yeah. I just feel like DMX is a bit of an anomaly because he to me it feels like he's been well loved throughout his career and actually people have been rooting for him to get off the crack in quotes um, and Definitely. be the guy. So that's why I'm just like that doesn't maybe possibly doesn't apply to DMX, but to others, yeah. But to DMX specifically, I feel no, like I, I think so. I think I think it's any any artist when you've had your moment and then you fall off, you're not. Yeah, nobody's talking I, about you. But I feel like DMX has always had that. People just want him to get back. So I don't even think it's been applied to his career in that same way because I think every time he's had a well, not every time when he had his moment, he fell off because of his own personal troubles. Mm -hmm. And every time he came back, people were like, "Yeah, DMX is back." Then he fell off because of his own personal troubles, rather than the other way. He came back, fucked up. Within, with his music wise, and people like, oh, your music's shit. We're not going to talk about you anymore. More like every time he came back with a banger or whatever the case it was, people rallied around him. But then he fell off because, and also it could be reversed. Like he 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 um, fell off because he got too much attention, and he can't cope with being in the public eye. There's also that perspective. There, there, there could be. There could be. Um, let's quickly get the comments and then move on. Okay. Um, Candy says, I love that all the Rough Riders went to his hospital. And Tafadzwa says apparently the story of him being off life support is not true and was correct the the was lawyer okay. the, the lawyer corrected it. And Red Border says 15 kids, damn. I think if you I've I've seen interviews, I can't remember his ex-wife was on some sort of documentary a few years ago and it was her and a bunch of other like hip-hop wives that were talking about stuff and she's had her own personal issues with dmx and i think that's also known so i don't think anyone can stand out and say oh yeah he's just a great rapper and you know he's got issues in it so most definitely but he would say that yeah like, in many interviews he would yeah. say you know, i'm yeah. very difficult i get aggressive da, da, da. Yeah. It's just, he's a complex very complex character yeah. But yeah, he still he still impacted the world in in ways. Okay, guys, let's move on to sad, mad, glad. What's made you sad, mad, and glad this week, Auntie? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, sad. Uh, oh, his name has just left my mind. But the the young man who went missing two weeks ago. Richard. And yeah, Richard, his, it hasn't been totally confirmed that it's him, but it's seeming like a body has been found in a in forest that could be him. That literally, oh, it just broke my heart because I was so sure I would have bet money on him turning up like next week. And just, you know, that that picture going around where it's like the found picture that I just saw that I was like, he's he'll come home and have some type of explanation. So that threw me off and I really, yeah, it's it's so sad. Um, I haven't really been mad about anything, but I've just been really, really glad. So no, there's something about Easter and, and energy. I've just felt really happy with something. I, I have nothing tangible to attribute it to other than maybe it's something in the rebirthing process around Easter and the moon. But yeah, there's just something within me that's just felt really quite pleasing 
but without it being something to say, this happened and it was really good. I've just had quite a good feeling about life. Auntie Shade. Um, yes, so uh, me, I am glad. Uh, first of all, what am I, I'm sad and mad about uh, Richards, young Richards. Um, uh, I just want them to confirm already, do you know what I mean, as well? Mm. Like, there's that too. Um, and I'm just mad at like the police's initial reaction of them saying, oh, you know, if you if you can't find him, how do you expect us to? Do you know what I mean? It's just like blatant, again, institutional racism, um, again. Um, so uh, mad, sad, um, mad and sad at that. And I'm glad, I've got a few things to be glad about at the moment. One on. is uh, Patricia, is it Masia? 22 psychology graduate who won a luxury two bedroom apartment through this tramway path giveaway. Like you put in like a raffle for like two pounds or something because she won it. And I thought it was just so amazing. The young brothers that are putting that together and um, she plans to rent it out. And I just thought, brilliant. Love your It's just such a cool, nice, feel good story. Um, I'm also really happy that it's my birthday soon. I'm so happy. Um, even though I'm not doing what I thought I was going to do, but I'm still happy. I'm going to see my family and that. And um, yeah, I'm really excited. And also Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm sorry, but it's just amazing. I really love it. I really do. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here not for feeling it. it. No. no, I'm not feeling it. Not feeling it. I can't wait for Loki. That's what I want to see. Loki, I can't wait as well either. I'm That's just, the one. But I feel like the ante's being upped each season, you know, like each new yeah. plot, basically. So, yeah, it's really good. That's me. Auntie Farah. I am sad um, at the Derek Chauvin trial because I just feel like it's very sad that the witnesses are being, you know, I mean, I know that's what the defence have to do, but it's it's just very sad. And I'm sad for the jury as well, that they have to watch this and watch this and watch this and watch this. And watch this. I just hope that they the outcome is the way that it should be. So I'm sad for that. I'm mad at the difference between the way that the police decided to look for young black people and the way that they look for young white people, even though we're not in an institutionally racist country. I'm <laughs> a little bit sad about that. Um, I am glad that the end is nigh slightly in terms of lockdown. I, I can I can slightly see a light at the end of the tunnel. We're, get, we're getting there. So see the light. I can slightly see a light at the end of the tunnel and we're getting there. And I just, I'm glad for that. I'm glad that we're being able to see people a bit more, even if it's outside and it's cutting because we live in England and the weather changes every minute of every day. So but I'm glad the end is nigh. I'm sad about Richard, definitely. And um, seeing the video of his mum saying that she's he's her heart, I just, I don't want the outcome to be the outcome. Um, I, I like, I just want him to be found. And I just, I don't know. But yeah, that's maybe very, very sad. And um, mad, definitely the George, um, Derek Chauvin's murder of George Floyd. That has made me mad because he himself, Derek Chauvin, he has made me mad. He would be someone I'd love to punch up, just literally punch him up because he's evil. So he's made me really mad. Um, and I'm glad that I'm, was. I'm actually, I'm mad and glad. I'm mad that I missed the Earth, Wind and Fire and Isley Brothers 
Isley Brothers versus, <laughs> but I'm glad I caught it. I was reminded and it was phenomenal. The uncles turned up and um, the tunes and it wasn't in regards to like, actually, no, I just loved it. I loved it because I was taken to a, a space and Steve Harvey was uncling. I have everybody, a match. Everybody was uncling. It was uncles all over the place. And um, I just loved it because it was for his uncleism, but all the tunes were great. And so I liked it. I was taking it to my... What are you going to freaking say, Auntie Nana? So you watched it and you couldn't just wake me up and tell me that it was on? No, I didn't watch it live. I'm I just... Okay. I, now I've got a mad. I'm mad that Auntie <laughs> Nana is listening to what I just said. I literally just said, I'm mad because I'm mad and glad because I'm mad because I missed it live because I really wanted to be in the vibe and get my uncle and auntie on. And and I just said... I <laughs> watched it. You know you ain't waking up for no... I, I, I would I would have woken up. I mean, I would have tried and you wouldn't have answered. <laughs> so there's that. I'm also mad. I'm actually doubly mad that Auntie Nan is pretending that she's a sister in solidarity when it comes to us and the verses. So let's not. But anyway, I'm glad <laughs> I watched the replay. It was fun. And Appy and Crockett and um, Mr. Spice, what's his name? Spice Man. And there's another comedian who did a wicked impression of Steve Harvey who couldn't stop talking, but it was all great. Um, if you go to Affy and Crockett's Instagram page, hilarious impersonation. And um, I loved it. It was just so freaking unclish and I just got my life. Let's get some sad mads from the yeah, comments. Yeah, we've got quite a few that have come through. Thank you, Thank guys. you guys. Okay, so um, I'll start with... Okay, Nicola says, sad about Richard... Um, mad about this schizophrenic weather and glad I am breathing. Yeah, it's like that type of just being alive. Um, and Ronald says, I'm glad that I watched the National Geographic series Genius, um, featuring a reefer with um, Cynthia Arrivo. Arrivo. Um, there we go. And then Antoinette says, glad for life and grateful for the people I have in my circle. Um, a silly mad, but I'm mad that Steve Harvey believed he was a member of Earth, Wind and Fire and Isley Brother and wouldn't shut up during the verses and making it about him. You ain't on that level, Steve. Sad that the body found in Epping Forest is very likely the missing young man, Richard. Um, Candice says, glad we got to see the latest verses with Earth, Wind and Fire and the Ivy Brothers, Steve Harvey was hilarious, but I'm not mad about it because they are his idols and Black Twitter's reaction has been a good too. And um, I think Ronald was saying T.I. was good as her second husband. I will watch that Aretha thing. And also Shelley says, sad we are still in a red zone here in Italy. And glad my daughter Candice finally got me to tune in. Mad at all the injustices that are still going on against black people. Welcome. <laughs> and Candice says, glad my mother finally is with us. She's always too busy living her best life in Italy. And Mr. Oh, Tang, <laughs> Tang says the uncles came out. Uncle Steve in particular would have been so nice if he gave the uh, the uncle artist an opportunity to tell some stories um and then candy said still don't know why i feel still don't know how i feel about ron isley ron isley zaddying listen he came to 
get the ladies boy he was trim slick it was hilarious you guys go watch it it's, i'm annoyed there's not like great full footage online um but yeah uh it was good it's a, it's a good one if you're into the old school it's a good one and the uncles definitely had their clothes on um as in shop clothes their outfits laid but that's uh, yeah. it. i saw yeah. i saw the suits the suits yeah. looked amazing well isaac was no no they tried it anyway <laughs> That was Your Aunties Could Never, episode 56. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining and contributing. Have a good one. Please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we will be back here and YouTube. And we will be back here every Tuesday, 5 p.m. UK time for more Your Aunties Could Never, Sad Mad Glad, Unpopular Opinion, Aunties Know Best, Headlines, What Have You Heard, all that good stuff for the culture. Join us again. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.